Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Philip Gawthorne, and with me as always is Liam Billingham, and today's film is The Fugitive. It's Die Hard on the Run. (laughs) When I came home, there was a man in my house. I potted with this man. Yes, I'm actually in Liam's house today, so um, uh, we've got a different... (laughs) <laughs> We've got a different energy But also today. we have guests direct from we the East Coast. We are graced by the presence of two <laughs> two very special guests um, who are uh, Dominic Nero and Adam Vollerich, who are the together the co-hosts of the wonderful film podcast, Eye of the Duck, Hi which guys. we'll talk about in a second. Hello. Hello. Welcome, Dom and Adam. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Yes, thanks for having us. It's a long time so, in the planning. I feel like we've been talking. Yeah, about this, this has for a been. While. <laughs> we've been waiting for a while for this. Um, Will they? Won't actually, they? and the reason <laughs> I met Dom was a, a positive social media story, which doesn't happen too Perhaps often. The only one. <laughs> yes, it, it, it certainly. You know, what, certainly one of few. But you know, I'm always bashing Twitter at the end of the show when we do our social media. Uh, outreach stuff, and the, but the reason that I met they're not Dom, paying for the show anymore, unfortunately. N- <laughs> they, they, they cut off the funding. Um, was an ad popped up for Esquire, and the ad was um, uh, a piece uh, called "It's Time to Redeem Prometheus" um, by a, uh, a film journalist called Dominic Nero. And I read this piece because I'm I'm always interested in the the discussion about alien, the alien mythology, and the alien universe, and. I, I read it and I thought it was great and uh, a rarely insightful and intelligent piece that was really, really thoughtful 
And uh, so I reached out to Dom just randomly on Twitter and said, hey, look, I read your piece. I think it's great. We just got, we got talking. Um, he, you guys had a podcast. We had a podcast. And I mentioned a few, few uh, ideas. And The Fugitive was the one that you really wanted to do. And you very patiently waited. <laughs> and I then got to know uh, Adam uh, as well through, through this fantastic show, which, of course, you did a series about the alien, all the alien movies, which was really, really fantastic. And now you're doing this, uh, a new season. Um, but why don't I let you guys uh, t explain to our, our listeners a little bit about um, The Eye of the Duck, what it means, and uh, a little bit about, about your podcast. Yeah, great. Uh, well, thank you for having us. And Phil, thank you yeah, for reaching so much. out. I'm very humbled to receive an email from someone as talented as you. And who is like a, 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 a who read my work and, and appreciated it. Um, here at Eye of the Duck, we are uh, big supporters of Prometheus. Um, it's, yes. it's, ti it's time Pro to redeem. Prometheus pod. Yes, the exploding head. Uh, it all works for me. Uh, <laughs> when I saw it uh, originally, I did not like it. I did not see the light. And uh, Adam and I explored it on our show. And, and here we are. It changed our lives. It brought us all together. <laughs> uh, and the, but, this but, term, the eye of the duck, comes from David Lynch. Is that is that right? Yes. Yes. He's when when he does the um the press tour for uh, I think it's Blue Velvet. He he starts talking about this idea of uh, you know he, he he starts talking about a duck uh, first of all. Of course he does. Saying, sure. You know, yeah. Cl classic Lynch stuff. <laughs> saying you know the. If you really want to get to know a duck, you have to look at its eye, his eye, the the duck's eye, and he starts talking about how you know, like the bill is like this shape and this speed, and the 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 feet are this speed, and the feathers are this, but but the eye is you know this this little jewel that encapsulates the whole thing, and the person interviewing him is like right right and uh would you say that a film has an eye of the duck scene and he says yes and so we've kind of stolen that uh that idea and built a whole show around it what is yeah, your so, can i are you guys lynch fans what's your favorite lynch film i i am deeply in in the lynch uh in in the lynch fandom for sure over the pandemic i i uh had a <laughs> A chance encounter with a, a literary agent and I was, uh, I almost had a book going about the return of Twin Peaks. Uh, I, I put together a whole proposal. It was my big pandemic project. Sadly, uh, it, it did not go anywhere at the moment, but that got me so deep into the Lynch world that I can never get out at this point. Uh, personally for me, Twin Peaks, the return, the, the third season of Twin Peaks is like, my uh i guess my personality right now <laughs> after, <laughs> after watching okay. so much you, of it that that's, are you okay that's kind of all I am really now. worrying don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know am i okay don't say that at like parties it's <laughs> basically line. all i've been reduced to uh but yeah adam and i we've we've talked about some uh some lynch yeah, on the show right I, yeah i'm similarly very very pro david lynch um i kind of flip-flop between like Mulholland Drive yeah. and Lost Highway, mm. um, which I think are very similar films and would make a great like They're double like feature sister, in a lot of ways. Sister films, yeah, yeah, hundred <clears throat> percent. Yeah, well, so while I, we're I love on those the, movies, the and I love Lynch. Of your favorite, your favorite Lynch films. This, this our show is, uh, you know, is predominantly about action movies. So one of the questions mm. that we're really interested to know, you guys, as uh, it, from you guys as um, very sophisticated cinephiles that you are, <laughs> is what is your favorite 
action movie? Oh man! Uh, well, well, like you, Gosh. mine is Die Hard. Excellent choice. Come on, you got to do yeah. a different one than <laughs> that. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I mean Dom, Dom can corroborate this. I'm I'm like properly obsessed with Die Hard. Uh, I uh, every year on Christmas. I think for the last 10 years almost. Mm -hmm. I mean, pandemic kind of ruined it. Um, but I have people over on Christmas Day to, to watch Die Hard. Mm. That's yeah, so presumably is, you is, do it... believe it's a Christmas movie. I Presumably, <laughs> yes. I mean, for me, it is the Christmas movie. It's the only one I look forward to watching every year. For totally me, uh, the weapon. First of all, I've I've never been able to attend Adam's uh, Die Hard Christmas party because I'm a good Catholic boy. And uh, I always have an actual <laughs> Christmas party to attend. But he invites me every year nonetheless, which is part of... Uh, you and you're know, watching main... Twin Peaks The Return. That's sort of what <laughs> oh, you're always. doing at that it's time. Always, <laughs> it's always happening in the background for me, or at least in my, in my mind, at least. Uh, <laughs> if I had to pick a favorite action movie, I mean, it's hard because uh, it's so many movies fall within that, that genre. But I guess a, a good one to bring up here, I think, would be Looper which is a film that Adam mm. and I spoke about uh, on, the, on the first episode of, of our podcast as we were still sort of exploring this idea. It's a film we both hold near and dear to our hearts and, uh, and, and a movie that uh, I, I don't see it on the slate that you originally shared with us, Phil. I'm wondering, are, are you guys mm. ever going to do Looper? Die Hard It raises in an interesting question. <laughs> because we have debated, that's a great shout. We have debated whether to do encompass science fiction. Like we're having this sort of, yeah. uh, the, it, it, on, on the horizon is the fifth element, for example, you know, oh, which right. has some diehard echoes, especially in the third act. It's um, got that Bruce Willis movie. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it, it, it's, it's definitely like uh, a conversation that we're willing to have as the show as the show uh, evolves. But that's a really interesting. Um, I think we hit. should do Looper. Looper fucking rules. I can't believe we're. Yeah, this I think is you guys are advocating to come back Rian, to do Rian Looper. Johnson movie. I think. Oh my god, <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. It's I remember so good. it was like a revelation in the movie theater. I was like, oh, he he made this like giant thoughtful. Oh. Yeah, you walk out of that one and you're just buzzing. You're yeah. like, oh my God, I well, can't believe when, they let him make this. When Knives Out came yes. out and everyone was like, oh my God, I was like, I was there when Lo I was there, well, I was there when <laughs> yes, Brick came yes. out, but also I was there when Looper came out. Like it was a, you know, yeah. it was this moment of like, oh, you like Knives Out? Go back, go back. Yeah. It's great stuff. <laughs> Amazing. So going back to this list of movies that you just brought yeah. up, you know, I sent you, I think maybe 20 or 30 when we were originally conceiving the show and we were at our mm -hmm. early stages, but this was the one that you immediately wanted to do and we've been waiting and holding it for you so why we fought off the, the hordes fugitive? that wanted to podcast about the future <laughs> there were a few that were really yeah, you know no, this is true. a popular movie and a lot of guests were like oh you know we want to do the fugitive and i was like i'm sorry it's already taken so but why why this movie what is it about it that <laughs> you really wanted to talk about i mean i've First of all, I feel like a very, very lucky person that uh, yeah, for real, we, we were able to get the fugitive and claw it away from everyone else. Uh, it is just <laughs> like objectively the greatest movie ever made. That's hell yeah, <laughs> <laughs> unanimously. Uh, we're all in agreement. There's no better movie than this. Uh, I, I mean, uh, it's a good question. I mean, it's just such a like. 
it, it's such a part of my life for some reason, just growing up. It's like one of those movies that was always on. Like I've heard you guys talk about like dads and action movies on your show. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about my dad and like, this is one of the movies that when it's on, my dad is like, Oh, we got to keep this on. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't have like a, like cable TV or anything here. So it's not as if diehard, I mean, it's not as if the fugitive is always on in my apartment, but like anytime it comes up or anytime there's mention of it, uh, I, I can't like, I can't avoid it. I mean, it's, it's the fugitive. It's Harrison it's Ford versus fugitive. Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> yeah. Adam, what's your relationship with this movie? I actually watched it for the first time relatively recently. Um, when I was sick with, with COVID, I, uh, I, I went down this sort of like thriller, uh, hole and I, I watched, and I watched I watched this and Air Force One as a double feature, um, which oh was just a tremendously good fucking time. Damn. Um, and in, yeah, <laughs> it was. It was COVID it was, to come over to your was, house to do it that. Was the, it was good. the best part of being sick with COVID. I was like, truly. Um, so I watched those two as a double feature, and I think I also did um, the Pelican Brief and the Firm um, as a double shit. feature the follow following day. Yeah, and these and those were all first time watches for me uh, at the time that I did it. And I, I basically walked away from from that week of COVID um, one uh, just ruined from having COVID, but thinking we used to be a country. Like what <laughs> yeah. happened? We used to yeah. make cinema. Like <laughs> oh my gosh, I literally had the same speech during the hard boiled episode that I think we had to cut out because I went too. Phil, crazy. this is like literally the only speech you you give. Let's be real. <laughs> It's your shtick. I do say it at noon every single day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, like, it's like mindfulness practice for you. Liam, I'm sure you have a big relationship with this movie, right? I was thinking about it last night and I remember, you know, in our previous episode where we talked about Cliffhanger with Jamel Bowie, plug, um, I told the story about I remember <laughs> seeing this movie in the movie theater in the... Uh, like August 6th, 1993 with my dad, with my family. We were on vacation oh my God. and uh, wow. there was a preview for Demolition Man before. And the, it was like, the, the no one knew what to do with Demolition Man in 1993. So the preview ended and the theater was silent. And my dad just very loudly went, that looks like a good movie. <laughs> and like the whole theater just went into hysteric. I remember seeing this. I remember having a crystal Pepsi at the screening wow. of this movie. Like it's burned into my memory. We had it on VHS. I it was on in the house. All it's like this is one of those movies that I watched with my like unanimous agreement from my family that we were all gonna watch The Fugitive. This this movie and um, I mean I cried when we talked about Harrison Ford on Patriot Games. So like <laughs> it's just Harrison Ford is like the movie dad of my I've like many people I think of our yes. entire lives and he's Agreed. having yeah. this moment now where he's being I think recognized for what he contributed to to movies. So yeah, this is like burned into my childhood. Um, what about you, Phil? Well, similarly, I remember going to, to the movies to see it. And this was actually in the old movie theater that was in my uh, small, smallish town where I, where I grew up, as opposed to the multiplex. They still had one of those old, what they used to call like flea pits, you know, with the big red curtains. And yeah. used to probably mm. be like, you know, uh, a stage, you know, thing back, you know, it was very, very old. And what I remember about it, though, was it was unusual because it was a 12 certificate, which is which was in the UK, the rating system is different. So it was one of the first one, I think it was the first 12 that I had ever seen um, because this was a new thing. And I do distinct, so I, and I guess I probably, I would have been actually 12. 
So, because I saw it too in 1993 when it came out, and I do remember being quite shaken up by the opening sequence mm. of the murder because it's mm. so realistic and so mm. kind of cold and quite graphic and quite just mm-hmm. um, upsetting. You know, you're, you're, the phone call that she makes when she's she's been caved down the head and it oh, just yeah. all felt very, it was quite traumatic. And I remember feeling kind of quite shaken up by it because I thought this is a very adult uh, film. And it's not like I hadn't been, I had, you know, I was probably watching Terminator and, you know, various more sort of quote unquote violent movies, but there was something about the realism and the tone of that sequence that that really kind of stayed with me. And I, I went on, of course, I, I loved the movie. And it's become one of those movies that's almost like, it just doesn't seem to age for me. And mm-hmm. I yeah. feel like you te- mm-hmm. I've never met anyone that doesn't like or indeed love this movie, regardless mm-hmm. of their background, age, gender, film taste, anything. To me, it's just sort of a universally, um, just a, kind of a perfect movie you know i joked in the end of the last episode it was like perfect organism to return to (laughs) or you know our our alien conversation but i really do think this is you know we talk a lot about how die hard is a swiss watch of precision um, in terms of its Mm -hmm. construction and execution and i think that the same is absolutely going to be said at the fugitive so i'm looking forward to unpacking it with you guys um so why don't you give us some some to- a top line fact check. Give us our facts about the fugitive. Yeah, so our top line fact check for the fugitive, uh, which is about to celebrate its thirtieth anniversary. Um, as Liam just mentioned, it was it had its wide release on August sixth, nineteen ninety three, which was approximately six weeks after our last film, Last Action Hero, which was released June eighteenth of nineteen ninety three, and we're now five years after the release of Die Hard in the summer of, uh, which was of course in the summer of nineteen eighty eight. This film was directed by Andrew Davis and produced by Arnold Copelson. It stars Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, Cela Ward, Joe Pantoliano, and Jerome Crabbe. Um, the film was, of course, based on the television series, which was created by Roy Huggins. And the screenplay was by Jeb Stewart and David Twohey, based on a story by Twohey. And on an estimated budget of $44 million, it grossed a staggering 368.9 million absolute monster wow. in the summer of 1993 Gosh, um now one of the things we also like to do for the um uninitiated perhaps the eye of the duck heads that have mm-hmm. uh gravitated towards our the our dom podcast. heads the adam heads <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly <laughs> like the ducklings it's just explain um, what the term, uh, similar to you guys, we, you know, we have this slightly esoteric term, um, inside a film term, die hard on a blank. Um, not everybody may know what that means. So just to clarify, it is the cultural or industry shorthand for any film that utilizes this particular storytelling paradigm of broadly bad guys take over a blank and it's up to one guy or group of people, uh, to fight back. Um, examples we talked about the more obvious ones under siege passenger 57 toy soldiers that are very direct um die hard scenarios whether it's uh die hard on a boat die hard on a bus die hard on a penny farthing uh whatever it might be um but there are other films that um are are, that are influenced by die hard in more subtle ways which i would suggest is the example uh, that we have here today with with the fugitive because you might people might be thinking well what's this got to do with die hard but that would bring us to a section that Liam likes to call 
Die hard DNA. <laughs> so, um, the big one uh, on the top of the ticket here is the fact that the original writer of Die Hard, Jeb Stewart, was also a writer on this film. So there's an undeniable direct connection there. One of the great action screenwriters of the era and uh, remains so to this day. Um, there's also a strong... Um, you know, the, you can't really talk about The Fugitive in its wider context without talking the, about the Under Siege connection here. You know, we did an episode on that. Of course, it, um, Under Siege was Die Hard on a Battleship, was even called that by the critic of the LA Times, potentially even coining the uh, the Die Hard on a Blank uh, expression. Um, Under Siege was, of course, directed by Andrew Davis, as was this film. Of course, it starred uh, Tommy Lee Jones as uh, uh, the second lead. Um, several other actors also appear in both films. Yeah, this movie is like it. it like I, I appreciate that Andrew Davis seems to have like a troop of guys from Chicago <laughs> with incredible facial hair oh, and great. that wear suits like my dad. Uh, that just keeps showing up in these movies. Like the there's this, the 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 two cops. They're both like stalwart Chicago actors, right? Mm -hmm. There's the guy who plays Copeland in this is one of the um, Eddie Bo Smith Jr. Yeah. In, Andy Bo Smith Jr. Mm -hmm. right in in the Fugitive and like just this is like a movie of faces in the same way that I think Under Siege is a movie of faces. Yes, yeah, so the character mm -hmm. of um, Newman, uh, Tom Wood, appears briefly in Under Siege uh, as yeah. the uh, the the sailor that's um, tasked to keep um, Segal in the meat locker. Uh, so it was it's, it's Under Siege was the second film in the Tommy Lee Jones trilogy, uh, behind, uh, um, with the package being the first, and then the Fugitive kind of completed that. Uh, saga of three collaborations with Andrew Davis. So that's important um, context. But the other, there's a more, when I watched the film again, I was struck by some of the more specific uh, incidences, uh, for example, uh, of similarity. For example, both films have this wily hero, right, who's always on the move, has to improvise constantly to avoid capture, um, mm -hmm. often ending up in these tight, confined spaces, such as, you know, a tunnel. Um, both films are a high-stakes cat-and-mouse game between two incredibly smart adversaries um, who rarely interact in the same physical space, but when they do, it, it's they're often the most pivotal scenes um, in the film. Um, we also have a hero who has to patch up his own wounds uh, in mm. both films. A lot of the imagery is the same. You know, helicopters, skyscrapers, there's riding the roof of elevators, spectacular jumps from great heights. And one of the big ones uh, is, you know, in the climax, the the hero is on the rooftop uh, of a of a skyscraper above the city, where you've got these misinformed, trigger happy cops trying to shoot him from a helicopter. Yeah. So there was a surprisingly high amount of um, diehard DNA uh, in this one. The other thing that I wanted to ask you guys about that I thought was quite interesting about this film that both films have uh, in different ways is this class dimension to it because we've talked yeah. about how Die Hard, we talked about how um, McTiernan's secret melody for the film was A Midsummer Night's Dream and how the low status characters were exalted by the end of the film and vice versa. I think so there was this class um, aspect to to the film. In this instance, I think it's really interesting that there's a, there's a sort of class element that um, the, the sort of blue collar cops have their a resentment of this doctor uh of this high fluting mm -hmm. doctor they even calls him a quack at one point the the tough chicago cop and 
and Tommy Lee Jones puts a notable uh, piece of disdain in his famous speech when he says, and our fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball, mm. right? Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a real sort of um, kind of class resentment going on there. But I think it's really interesting that this wealthy, um, kind of well-to-do, highfalutin top surgeon has to masquerade as quote-unquote invisible minimum wage workers um, right. to live almost off the grid and and not be noticed. So I think, I don't know if you guys, did you pick up on any of the, um, I, I, the class I was thinking a lot about all of that, actually. Yeah. This, this idea that he, as you say, he kind of becomes invisible by putting on, you know, jumpsuits and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and you know, you know he, he just decides, you know, oh, I'm a janitor in this building. And people are like, all right, whatever, you know, go ahead. You know, he's, he's able to get away with it. But I, I was also picking up on a, another level of that that I found really interesting was that he actually, he exists in like a middle space because he is a doctor but like it's pointed out to us multiple times that the majority of his wealth comes from his wife's uh, family money yeah so there's that but then there's also the fact that you know um a thing i feel like is like a very 1990s thing is that the villain of this film is essentially a corporate sellout you know it is a doctor who has given away all of their morals in exchange for you know uh, a board of directors chair at this uh this pharmaceutical company um and so Kimball exists in this space where he is not a sellout. He's like the one good doctor left in in Chicago. Um, and uh, he's wealthy, but only by marriage. And so he, we, we can get that sort of everyman thing of like, he knows how to make himself invisible because like he, I think we can infer that he maybe came from an invisible space. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's so cool. It's a well-written character. And the, the cast, uh, the, the class system that's in place here i feel like the uh there's that one moment when tommy lee jones uh as as uh, samuel gerard is looking at uh some of those files about that the uh this drug and he says this company is a monster right mm-hmm. and the the like looming presence of this like big pharma uh like you know like world killing uh, <laughs> thing yeah. that it's just like always there. And once you realize that there are much bigger powers at play here, I feel like the, the system of power kind of gets, gets like established. And the second half of the film, I think you start to understand that there are much more like powerful villains at play. Yeah, he's just caught in the middle of it. Right. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's uh, I, I I hadn't made this connection until right now, but to bring it back to like film history, one of my favorite films of all time, maybe my like the my favorite mm-hmm. film of all time is the Akira Kurosawa Police Procedural High and Low. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen that? I've not actually. In pieces in school. <laughs> so it's essentially a two two parter. The it's it's about, Toshiro Mifune plays a guy named Kingo Gondo, mm-hmm. whose son at the beginning of the film his he's in his in his like glacial estate looking over Yokohama and his son gets kidnapped and he's mm-hmm. on the phone with the kidnapper and like a group of like powerful men assemble and get the and they get the um ransom together or whatever and then they realize that the kidnappers have screwed up and they've kidnapped the chauffeur's son they've kidnapped the wrong kid wow and so now gondo has to make a decision about if he's going to pay the ransom that will literally destroy his his company 
to save the the chauffeur's son. And that's the first half of the movie. I won't give it away. But the second half is all about catching the kidnapper, who is a lower class citizen in Yokohama in that very prosperous post-war period in Japan for certain groups of people. Mm. And you have to kind of, you watch the cops get mired in sort of the like, the lower class, so to speak, of Japan. And, and I think this movie, while it's not a kidnapping drama, it uses the the sort of the 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 idea of the doctor who's sort of like adam as you said a middle middle upper middle class citizen depending on how you mm -hmm. view it to right. like talk about how people can disappear into spaces you know it's it's significant that when he when he picks up a crate and he's wearing a dirty suit and he has a beard no one questions him <laughs> yeah. being in the hospital right. and then he cuts off the beard and is walking around with like a literal stolen sandwich and like a cup of coffee and everyone, no one suspects him of, of anything, right? right? Like the Great cop point. goes by and he literally says to the cop, like, every time I look, he says, you know, we're looking for 6'1", 180 pounds. He literally is like, that's what, that's, that's what I look like, but I don't have a beard. And like, <laughs> it almost strains believability. And yet the doctor as like figure, it's, there's still this time when like doctors were really taken seriously. So there's a little bit of like critique in this movie that you might not get, uh, from a movie made later, it, it does not abandon its point of view on that stuff, and I and I think it's complicated too because, like, he has to kind of like live among the people, and like it's right. icky. Except that there's a self awareness to this movie about it. I think. Right. The other thing that I wanted to the point I wanted to make, um, picking up on Dom's point about the company, um, mm -hmm. Devlin McGregor, and it, it it does remind me a little bit of. Um, the suspicion that Die Hard has towards the Nakatomi Corporation mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. by extension capitalism in general and kind of the rampant corporate greed that was accelerating uh, around this time. So it's interesting that I hadn't quite made that, connected those dots until Dom raised the point. And to your point, Liam, also what you were saying, again, they're not kidnapping thrillers, but it's interesting that Ransom, um, which arguably mm. has some Die Hard echoes, has a deep sense of uh, class consciousness. And in fact, the class resentment is what's driving Gary Sinise's character, the kidnapper. And of course, that's scripted by Richard Price, who, you know, is a great write, writing about the, the the sort of social ecosystem of New York City. Um, but it's, anyway, that, that, a couple of thoughts that just um, occurred to me based on what you're saying, uh, what you guys, well, and the also those, you guys those, The kind of high class consciousness of this kind of movie, I don't think you see as much in mainstream movies these days, right? Like, you know, the superhero has no. kind of replaced the resourceful, thoughtful on the run. I mean, one of the best things about this movie, and we'll get into in this next section, is Harrison Ford's resourcefulness, right? Yeah. Like his ability yeah. to pivot and make changes and like his education and sort of like ability as a surgeon uh, to make, you know, split you know, like minute up to the second decisions is a big part of why he survives in this film, you know, and, and that's one of the more interesting elements of it. But you don't see it as much now in these kinds of movies because there's not the like the power structures are not real power structures in many cases. They're right. like, you know, a guy who can snap his fingers and kill half the population or whatever the case is. Like, it's just yeah. evolved away from that. And I, I, you know, in some ways, I think we're poorer well, for both it. sides are. We used to be um, a country, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> both sides are hiding in plain sight, actually. The villains are hiding in, in plain sight um, right. as, as this corporate entity and this sort of farmer company and he's on the board and doing a speech and da 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 but and also Kimball is hiding in plain sight like in those moments that you said where he's 
pretending to be a doctor in the hospital or pretending to be a janitor and so forth. Shall we move on to our um, our next... Uh... To the section labeled Anatomy of an Action Movie, a section that... Speaking of, of Phil's surgeons. own design, where he lists the tenants. We live in a twilight world. Very good. And there are no friends at desk. <laughs> of the action movie. Real quick, are you guys tenant hive? If we're Prometheus oh, I'm, hive, I'm, we I'm have I'm to pro, be tenant. I'm pro-tenant for sure. Yeah. I'm anti... Dom, what was that I'm, sound that you just made? I'm an anti-tenant. <gasps> uh, okay, I quit. No! Uh, probably the first, like, 50 episodes of our podcast, we argued over tenant pretty much every episode. Okay, uh, every, I gotta go week. back and listen and, and support Adam, because it's a <laughs> great fucking movie. Yeah, Phil, what are the tenants what are, of, the, of the action movie as you see them? Yeah, so um, there's the premise, uh, which uh, obviously the fundamental concept of the movie, uh, which often incorporates uh, the ticking clock, um, whatever the plot mechanism is that is driving the movie forward um, and creating uh, suspense and tension. Then we have uh, the hero, uh, the villain, which we're adjusting slightly with an asterisk this week because the it's, it's actually the antagonist. Ooh. We have an antagonist and a villain, which is an important distinction. Um, then you have the action, uh, the humor, and sometimes uh, the, the lady. Oh, She's a lady. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. We do it every time. It's obnoxious. Sorry, it. I had to do it. Love it. So the premise of this movie, you know, it's interesting. I actually watched, uh, I watched the pilot of the Fugitive TV series. The Quibi series? Oh, wow. Uh, not the, <laughs> not the, remember, guys, remember Quibi? Good times. Never forget. There is a Fugitive Quibi series? There was a Fugitive Quibi series with the guy from Wings, whose name escapes no, me. No, that was a different one, uh, wasn't it? The, the, oh. It was a 2000 remake with That's Tim right. Daly from, from Wings. Tim Daly. And McKelty right. Williamson, who we love, Ooh. Uh, from Heat I, he's and Forrest Gump. I, I haven't um, seen that, but I did see that they had put that the pilot for that version on the uh, on the Blu-ray release for the film. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I did not watch that. I watched the trailer, yeah. and that was, that, that was enough. But there was a, there was a Quibi... Uh, there was a Quibi series with Boyd Holbrook as the fugitive and Kiefer Sutherland as the uh, pursuer. Oh, um, wow. interesting. Do you think on set of Indiana Jones 5, Bold Ho Boyd Holbrook was like, we both did it. <laughs> we We're both the same. We've been Richard Kimball. <laughs> We've both been some version of Richard Kimball and Harrison Ford was like, uh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Harrison Ford grunted at him. Yeah. <laughs> Growled. Um, yeah. yeah so Dad mad at me? It, it's interesting watching, so I watched the the pilot uh, of the original 60s television series. Have, has anyone seen it? Have you guys? I have not. I have, not. No, I have seen it years ago. It. Years. My dad showed it to me after we watched the movie because we were cool like that. Yeah, we watched it. We went back and watched it. <laughs> it's interesting. I think it's such a brilliant um, adaptation because it takes the core elements of it. Right? All, of the, all, all of the elements are there. He's a doctor on the run. He actually, it's uh, a train. He's on a, tr rather than a bus that is hit by a train or crashes and then is hit by a train. He's on a, he's on a train being transported uh, and then there's a crash and he escapes. And it's sort of, I remember one of the reviews I think called it um, the lone, he was the lone ranger with a stethoscope in the sense that it was that TV <laughs> formula of going to different towns, getting in adventures, getting mixed up in things. Meanwhile, there was this overarching plot of the detective who, who, um, or, or the, the cop who is actually called Philip Gerard and not Samuel hmm. Gerard. Um, but he is called Gerard, who's who's also relentlessly pursuing him. And um, the one-armed man 
you know, is involved and and is the suspect, but there's an air of mystery to it. But it really, you know, something that I deal with a lot is, is like, is the challenge of adaptation when you're adapting uh, the 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 god awful phrase IP. Um, <laughs> what do you keep and what do you discard? Um, right. How do you stay true to the spirit of something, the essence of something, but still make but bring it, um, contemporize it, or make it fresh or whatnot? And it's not only is this film just amazing in its own right, but as an adaptation. Um, it just get it takes all of those key elements, the 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 fundamentals of it, the fundamentals of the conflict, and the fact that he essentially is a kind, compassionate man. Richard Kimball goes out of yeah. his way to help people. You know, we'll right. talk about that when they get to the hero section. But anyway, the, the premise is obviously based on the TV series. It retained those core elements, which is um, after being wrongly convicted for the murder of his wife, top Chicago surgeon Dr. Richard Kimball escapes during a prison transfer and attempts to solve the murder while being relentlessly pursued by a team of cops, led by the dogged, indefatigable U.S. Marshal Samuel Girard. And the ticking clock, I would suggest, is genius, which is, can Richard Campbell avoid capture, excuse me, can Richard Kimball avoid capture long enough to solve the murder of his wife? I mean, just... It's great. Home run, like just clean conflict. Brilliant. I mean, you know, Dom said something earlier about this being the perfect movie, but I have a very specific question, which is, is this the perfectly edited movie ever made? And, you know, one thing we didn't get into when we were talking about, um, you know, sort of the top line fact check this movie. I don't know if you guys know this. This movie went into production nine months before it came out. I wow. saw that. I, I took a quick browse My of the, the Wikipedia and uh, yeah. saw that it had a uh, type production and type post and that they apparently had... The pro seven, post was like four weeks. Yeah, they yeah. Had, and they it had was seven wild. editing suites running simultaneously to get it My done. God. That is... I think it was greenlit crazy. and it was like, if you can get it out this August, and I think it was like February or March. And I, wow. it, you know, the film story. lists... Three editors, you know, yeah. which is like un, unheard of. And in our previous episode, Last Action Hero had a similarly insane post-production window, three and a half weeks, which if you've seen that movie Oof. is absolutely nuts. Um, but this movie Brutal. is the almost opposite where you have to wonder if the... And I bring this back to the editing, the breathlessness of, wit, of that this movie operates in and its two yeah. hour and 10 minute runtime you almost have to wonder if the editors were like inspired by the fact that they were like, okay, we have to cut. I mean, seven edit suites. Can you imagine no, seven no. edit suites running simultaneously <laughs> cutting this movie? It's it just, and you can feel it. You can feel it in that yeah. you enter into scenes. You know, there's a great moment when they're interrogating Kimball and it cuts to the guys behind the glass and that smarmy piece of shit dude who's mm -hmm. like, book them. Yeah. But they cut back into the room and you see the shot of Ford and he knows that he's a suspect now. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you don't see any of that happen, but it's in what I would describe as Harrison Ford's maybe most wrenching performance. He's absolutely incredible, but you can yeah. just feel that like, they were like, let's get through this. Let's let's like, let's make this movie with with the same breathless, breathlessness that it needs to survive with. And I think that's so beautifully reflected in how this movie is cut. It is like yeah. no fat, uh, unbelievably cut yeah movie. i was very I struck it, by that in the first act yeah um, yeah yeah yep. just, just I, I the, think... the way it, it moves so quickly through all of it and then it like parcels out how it chooses to reveal 
the you know the, what happened in the murder like it's not until like halfway through the film that you really fully understand like what happened mm -hmm. to richard kimball's wife um mm -hmm. which i think is cool because it also gives you even though you trust harrison ford and you believe him to be innocent mm -hmm. it does give it a little bit of an edge to him of sort of just like well, what else is going on here? Like, is he even a good husband? Like, why did you know? Right. Like, like, yeah. like, did, did, like, like, did he have some kind of like role in this? Even if he didn't kill her, you know. Um, so it's 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 really well done, and and the the way they kind of climax that with. Um, you have the classic sort of like dead wife dream where it's like, you know, gorgeous woman floating around in the white sheets. Yeah. And the dream of the the dream flashback is interrupted by the nightmare of uh, of, of Sykes coming in and actually doing the murder. It's, it's, I mean, it's a horrifying subversion, but it works so well. Yeah, it is. It, 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 that... It, yeah, it's just so uh, perfectly structured, and and you feel like they lost, they trimmed a lot, and and the editing really. I mean, it's the classic cliche, but it's so true that the editing clearly made this movie as like even the opening where it flashes between her murder and them in the car together, yeah, and it's actually yeah. a flashback from when he's sitting in the interrogation room. Like, I don't think we, I don't think we realize, but that feels even for that period very sophisticated for mm -hmm. like a mainstream action movie. Like they really, yeah. I think you see that a lot more. Memento even feels like it was probably inspired by this movie in terms of like structural and formal challenge, especially in those open 11. I mean, I think and that the other there's, thing is, no, go ahead, Tom. It, it's a, uh, as much as it is a feat of editing, um, I think what really uh, stunned me this time watching it as an adult, I mean, I don't, I don't know the last time I, I saw this, uh, it's really a feat of writing, I think. And, but the, the, mm -hmm. the special thing about this movie is that it's not, uh, you can watch it and enjoy it for what it is. And then you can watch it as an adult and see that like, oh, there's actually something like way deeper and profound happening here in the script that mm -hmm. it's, it's so tightly wound that not only is it this man trying to escape, but like as it enters that second half, it's this like genius thing where, where they're also trying both sides are trying to solve the murder and they have mm -hmm. to come together at this very uh, specific point mm -hmm. for it yeah. all to coalesce. And like, you know, as someone who dabbles in screenwriting and, 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 you know, as someone who writes myself, like I can imagine the amount of thought and like finesse that had to go into like winding that up so intricately that yeah. like you guys like talked about Tenet earlier, like Tenet is a movie that uh, like it baffles the audience. There's, there's a lot going on. It's a complicated movie. It's baffling um, whether or not it's really good. That's a different argument, but this movie also <laughs> is like, to me, like pretty, <sighs> pretty baffling in how intricately this story is, is told, but it doesn't mm -hmm. have that Tenet problem to me that like, it on the surface like i can still just enjoy this for what it is yeah and it doesn't uh it doesn't like beat me over the head with how complicated it is it's never confusing uh, that's this, what it, I'm trying it, to even say. though it's complex yeah. which yeah. is a yeah. real balance that's got to be really hard to do right well yeah. the, the it, it's as you said it's genius um the way that the premise evolves because richard kimball is leaving the breadcrumbs for tommy lee mm -hmm. jones to do the investigating He's sought there, so it, it's like being concurrently mm. solved. Right. That is right. very, very sophisticated, like mystery plot, you know, writing. It, but the film never feels sedate. 
it's always at 100 miles yeah. an hour. So you're doing like a complex inter interlaced, multifaceted mm -hmm. procedural mis murder mystery plot at the same yeah. time you're running 100 miles an hour. I mean, this this why this film is just genius. And to your point about the editing, what struck me watching it that this time was like the credits haven't even finished and Kimball's already yeah. been like <laughs> yeah. sentenced on the bus. and is on the bus being transferred to prison. Yeah. And you're like, they do not and it's around. an astonishing yeah. 11 minutes of filmmaking. Plus, it's yeah. unbelievable. Critically, you so are emotionally dialed in to the character because yep. of the scene when Harrison Ford breaks down in the interrogation. And apparently he kissed Andrew Davis when he saw the, the footage of that in the assembly because he oh, knew cool. the audience were locked in. You know, now we are so invested. God, imagine and, and getting kissed by Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had a little kind of moment there. Um, yeah, I, there's so much to say about that, but I, I really do think that the other thing that's amazing about this movie is that even moments that could read as cheap, right? Like when they kick in the door and you think that they're going for Kimball, but they're actually arresting the Polish Oh, it's great. A landlord. Oh, what a sign of the lambs. Yeah. Switcheroo. Like, I was going to say, yeah. yeah, the switcheroo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, I, even in Silence of the Lambs, which I rewatched fairly recently and, and I do think is a great movie, I kind of was like, okay. Like it felt a hair. I mean, it's amazing, but like nothing, everything in this movie feels earned and never, mm -hmm. never glib. There's nothing glib. You know, we, I want to talk a little bit about the other, the Copeland uh, capture scene because it's, it's astonishingly wrenching to watch now, but nothing in yeah. this movie feels anything less than like earned and serious and so well devised. And I just, I mean, because of what I'm saying, this is a good movie. It's a good yeah, movie, guys. Good. This and Tenet, pretty, yeah. the good movies, the good movies. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's just got great sort of like the, the, all the things we're sort of saying here, like the way the plot unfurls, the way it's edited, it also, uh, it uses character to drive so much of the, the progression of that story. So even things like we're saying, oh, it's so interesting the way that Harrison Ford leaves these breadcrumbs for Tommy Lee Jones. It's like, what he's really doing there is he's he's looking at someone who is sort of driven by the law. And instead of appealing to that, appealing to that guy's sense of justice and sort of asking right. himself, like, can I break through like the way in which, the, can I break through this guy's worldview and trick him into like solving this case alongside me? Because if I can't do that, like, I'm, eventually I'm going to get recaptured and like I need to have right. like I need to have uh, like earned this guy's trust and convinced him that the right thing to do not the legal thing to do but the right thing to do is like look for my wife's killer and if I can't do that I'm doomed yeah I, I and I'm really I know we're going to move into our next one of our next tenants of um which is going to be actually a hero and antagonist but and I'm really really excited to talk about the way cops are portrayed in mm -hmm, this movie yeah. because there's something really dynamic and, and complex about how they are in the film. But Phil, let's let's let you cook on mm -hmm. the hero, which is what I think we're talking about. Yeah, next. we can talk correct? about the hero. I did have some other other points, but we it feels like we'll, we'll we can mm -hmm. kind of come back to that. I'll, br I'll I'll bring it up in the in our kind of final when we render our final verdict. Um, uh, no pun intended. The hero. <laughs> well. You know, you're saying you're going to let me cook on Richard Kimball, but I feel I can't be cooking on Harrison Ford. I'll cook on Tommy Lee Jones. You know, what I wanted well, to... I want our guests to cook well, on... Well, I've cooked on Harrison well, Ford. what I wanted to ask so, our guests was... Yeah. Please. First, any thoughts that you have on why this character is so compelling and anything that you want to say? But a specific question is, you know, what where does this character rank among Harrison Ford's greatest <laughs> roles for you guys? Oh, wow. 
No mm. press. <laughs> well, uh, we we had the joy of covering the Indiana Jones franchise in a miniseries. So mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Henry Jones Jr. is always going to be high on my list with him. Uh, I mean, there's something to this beard era of, of, of Harrison Ford <laughs> that is, is, is very, <laughs> so very good. Oh yes. my God. Including his appearance in... Uh in the, the young Indiana ah, Jones yes. Chronicles with show. this beard right. during production of this film. <laughs> I mean, this has got to be up there. I don't know that anyone, that anything can beat Indiana Jones. Um, what do you think, Adam? Yeah, I mean, I, I will say I, I, like this, this film is my first exposure to sort of this like other period of, of Ford's yeah. career. Like I don't have a ton of experience with like action movie Harrison Ford. Um, mm. And like, I'm, I now feel like very grateful that I, I get to explore that uh, kind of for the first time. Um, but I, I think this is a, an amazing performance. You know, uh, we were talking about that first act and like, for me, like the, the moment where, you cut to him in the trial while we're hearing and also seeing the phone, the 911 phone call. Oh, like great. he's doing so much with just, you know, like micro, you know, movements mm -hmm. of his face where like, th this is the kind of thing where, you, where you're, you're watching the performance and you, and, and you realize like this movie only really works with a true movie star of this caliber in this mm -hmm. role. And like Ford is the guy for it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, this definitely ranks very high for me, um, and uh, and and I have much to say about the character as well. But but yeah, F Ford is is fantastic here. What do you think, Liam? Where is it? Where you you know where is he on? Where's Kimball on your list of Ford <laughs> on the Mount Rushmore? Um, I. You know, I, I, it's, it's funny, Adam, to your point, like my favorite Harrison Ford, and this could be nostalgia. It could be like, this, this is from my prime movie watching years. But mm -hmm. like, I watched these movies, all of these movies again and again. They were like, my dad loved Harrison Ford. That was a big part of our sort of like movie watching habit. And more even than, I, mean, I love Star Wars and I love Indiana Jones. And I, I think that one of the most beautiful things about Harrison Ford's career is that he like did that, and then he stopped doing it for a while. And then he was like, I'm just going to show how I might be the greatest, one of the greatest <laughs> actors of all time. Yeah. Like really, truly. And, you know, to jump ahead, I remember seeing The Force Awakens when it came out in 2015 and kind of like when he first showed up on screen being like, what are we doing here? Like, this feels a little bit strange to have him back as Han Solo, as, as excited as I was. And then there's the scene with him and um, Adam Driver. Yeah. Oof. And I was like, oh, this is the fusion of the most one of the most iconic parts he's ever played with the 30 years of acting that he did in between these things that yeah, are absolutely right. like, you know, because he, yeah. he, you know, like absolutely astonishing because it wasn't that he wasn't a great actor, but he was to me in some ways a movie star, you know, before. Star Wars, we had The Conversation, which he has like a, a, a small but incredible part in, in American Graffiti, where you're kind of right. like, oh, this guy could be a movie star. And then he goes and he's, he does some incredible movies in the 70s, 80s, like beyond Star Wars. He, you know, he does like Presumed Innocent, which is a really strong witness, his Peter Weir films. Like he was oh, doing yeah. this stuff at the same time. But then it culminates in this one absolutely heartbreaking scene in The Force Awakens that Adam, I think the like mournfulness of that yeah, comes totally. back to that moment in the fugitive when he has his head in his hands um and, yeah. and i just think that like 
you know, when as dark as it they as it, as it is to think this way, but when they when they do the memoriam, the scene that they're going to show beyond the maybe the Force Awakens thing for the fans is the interrogation scene in this movie because he is absolutely incredible. I mean, yeah. I, I, it's cliche to say, but that is like. It's crazy that that's a, in a summer movie and it's crazy. You know, we talk about letting us cook. Andrew Davis was like, Harry Ford, cook. Like, <laughs> this is the worst moment of maybe anyone's life. You've lost your wife in the, the most heinous way imaginable, but also you're the suspect and these yeah. fucking buffoons are questioning you when about it. When he says it, they and he's took like, everything from me. It's amazing. Yeah. It like, comes right out of his soul. <laughs> It's you know, almost it's like so psychodrama method acting <laughs> classwork, right? Like you feel like he's gone beyond the formality of acting on camera and like really pushing himself to this like way that you learn to do in an acting well, the other class, thing but not indulgently so. About that just scene like, to that point, Liam, is yeah. they, they mm. told, they he specifically didn't want to know the questions that the cops were going to ask. And one of oh, those wow. cops, oh, yeah. Joseph oh, Casala, was a real cool. ex-cop. So he knew his, whatever the acting, uh, like his um, informed circumstances or whatever the correct uh, term is. He knew kind of, he knew the information that his character needed to know. Given, given the circumstances, circumstances of the scene, yeah. yeah. He knew that, yeah, yeah, but he didn't know what they were going to ask him. So, because oh, he, he wanted to go to be vulnerable, you know, which is often when a, a, the great, if you combine that vulnerability and that emotional honesty, I think with the technical uh, precision and gifts and understanding that, that Harrison Ford has, uh, then that's when you get those transcendent moments. Well, and to the, yeah, yeah, it's like watching a 50-year career and you can see the growth. Like, you know, it's sometimes hard to remember that actors evolve and change over the course of their careers, yeah, especially sure. someone who's iconic right. as he is. And he's built this, like, absolutely astonishing career where he just gets better. I don't know if you guys watch Shrinking, the Apple I TV did, yeah. show. He's amazing in it. Yeah, it's a great performance. He's amazing. Yeah, and like I really enjoyed that show, but every like every single episode, I was devastated by how good Harrison Ford is in that. And it's it's years of doing these funny. like green screen dramas, and they're it's funny and like real, like a real person, like a guy who's mm. also not putting on any. He's kind of just Harrison Ford playing a psychiatrist, and it's yeah. you know someone should write a book about the like. The, the way his uh, career evolved. And, and to go back to your original question, uh, this is like top top three or four yeah. for me. You yeah, know, I, I would agree. think for it's me, it's, for sure. yeah. it's always going to be clear in present danger. I think he's just, um, I think that that movie's amazing. And I, and we're, I know we're going to cover that. Um, and obviously f Jones in this, but there's something about the fact that he played this role, he absolutely owns and he never returned to it. And we're going to have it as like a, mm -hmm. just a, and yeah, also a this thing. is the only movie we've talked about so far that's been nominated for best picture Phil. I mean that's a you know this is like you know die hard on a blank hitting this like whole could, new level. Could you of imagine right? if this movie came out today it it would not get a best picture nomination. No. No. Like, I I think it, it getting a best picture nomination then was was really surprising. I mean it's an action oh, sure, it's an yeah. action thriller, you know. Tommy Lee Jones famously said on the set like uh look no one's going to win an academy award for this, which was the ultimate <laughs> irony. <laughs> You know, which Tommy Lee Jones um, ends up winning, right? Exactly. Um, and it was nominated for several Oscars. But maybe Harrison Ford should have been nominated, frankly. I could so, see that know? for yeah. sure. I think what's so profound about his performance and this character, I, I've been thinking about this nonstop since I watched this, is again, like uh, when you watch this 
without like a critical eye, like I did as a kid, you just root for this guy. Uh, like obviously, mm -hmm. you know, you root for him, but then when you get older and you look at this more, uh, more deeply, you know, from a screenwriting point of view, it's like, you begin to wonder, like, why do we root for this guy in, in the opening? Like he doesn't have too many lines and we're not completely sure that he is like free from any, any evils himself. Like we don't really know what this guy's deal is. So on the one hand, you have Harrison Ford there who is Indiana Jones and Han Solo. So like we're primed to believe that he's a good dude. Yeah. Like we, we just see him on screen and we're like, all right, I'm, I'm probably going to trust this guy. He seems like he's, uh, he's, I mean, he's, he's Han Solo, of course. But on the other hand, I think the way that they earn our trust with this man is so, uh, it, it's so unique and it makes me think about Les Mis, which I know this movie, you know, in some ways like loosely inspired by and he steals um, a sandwich. Sure. But like Jean Valjean <laughs> in Les Mis, which is the, you know, the Harrison Ford, the, the, uh, the Dr. Richard Kimball is, is basically the Valjean of this movie. Um, unique and, and maybe even different than what you guys talk about normally with Die Hard in that like Jean Valjean doesn't really have like faults. Like he's not, He's, he's not like, he doesn't have a dark history per se. He's not like a shitty guy. Everything he does is like virtuous. Uh, and in this case, uh, Richard Kimball, even more so, uh, Richard Kimball doesn't steal a loaf of bread. Like he doesn't, he doesn't commit any crimes. Every step of the way, I feel like they do this really, really smart thing in that, like, despite him not having faults, uh, he's helping people. Like he's saving these children. Yeah. He tries to save that, that man on the train. So they, they he earn, the like, so we have oh. Ford who, who we all, we're already primed to love as, and, and support as a good guy. And then we have him, you know, doing these virtuous things that he doesn't need to be doing. What's well, it? So, save the cat, right? He keeps saving the yeah, cat over and, and over and over again. Yeah, <laughs> so he doesn't need to talk. Like we don't really need to know anything about him. I know just from that, that he didn't kill his wife. Right. Yeah. It's, it's so smart. And it has that sort of, it, I mean, you know, again, this is diehard on a blank, right? It has that diehard thing of like, he's the perfect guy for this exact thing to have right. happened to. Like, he, <laughs> yes. so, he solves this murder because he understands like, okay, that guy had a prosthetic arm. That means this, 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 and this. Right. And he just right. gets his book on like prosthesis and like he figures the whole thing out, you know, like it's, it's an undercover cop is in the building when it's taken hostage, yes, you know. And he'll, physician, and he can heal, heal himself, thyself. Say, You're yeah. a Catholic, Dom. You'll appreciate that, right? <laughs> you know, well, he heals, a he's a doctor, so he's uh, capable of um, you know, he can, yeah, like he's, he, he knows how to jump off and not die. He knows like what the physical right. limitations of his body, he can he fixes his own wounds. You know, he infiltrates the hospital in ways where he knows where the security might be lax or mm -hmm. what the security protocols are. And yet he never loses his compassion, um, as a physician and continue, because that is who he is. That's what's in his soul to help people, to heal people. This is one of the greatest characters and the the comp just that perfect combination because Harrison Ford always comes across as heroic, intelligent, compassionate, mm -hmm. and tough. You know, and mm -hmm. that is what this character well, is. Well, to that point, space. you know, one of his unheralded performances is in What Lies Beneath, where the oh, whole yeah. time mm -hmm. you're yeah. like, "There's no way Harrison Ford's the bad guy." <laughs> I remember I've only seen that film once, and I remember watching it and being like, "Wait, no." 
No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Like, I really do? had this, like, big <laughs> yeah. reaction. What did yeah, yeah, Harry? Yeah. Like, yeah. I just had this huge <laughs> it feels like a weird betrayal. Yeah. He's yeah. not supposed to be the bad guy. And apparently he, like, called Robert Zemeckis and was like, I want this part. Like, I want to be the bad guy. He's Bond really cool. is a bad and, guy, too, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, in um, yeah, Cowboys great. and he's Aliens, really which is, like, not, not the greatest movie, but he's a lot of fun as the bad guy in there. Uh, not the worst movie, my dude. Uh, it's Cowboys and Aliens. What I love that movie. It's really? bad. Uh, bad. I've always wanted but to I, see it. <laughs> oh, you should, I saw it. I wandered into it after literally walked out of a screening of Captain America uh, and just being like, Cowboys and Aliens? Hell yeah. I'm going to, let's go. And then I walked into the movie theater and you know what? Fun time. You know, Daniel Craig, Harrison Ford in a bizarre. Uh, Calm down. It's worth watching, but you should check it out. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Well, while we're talking about villainy, um, shall we talk about the the distinction between the antagonist and uh, the villains uh, in this film? 
Um, Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. So um, Tommy Lee Jones as Marshall Sam Gerard. Um, I, 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 I've got to like, cook, yeah. Cook, Phil, cook, okay. cook. <laughs> Do I cook. have the license? Okay. You have the light cook. All right. I fucking love Tommy <laughs> Lee Jones. He's one of my all-time favorite movie stars. And this is when it all started. And I remember, and I think it was Jurassic Park. I think because I was watching, we talked in our previous episode, I remember that vividly, going to see Jurassic Park with my dad. And the trailer, um, at some point, some movie, I think it was that, the trailer for this movie came up, right? And it was like those titles. The beautiful blue titles. Harrison Ford. And then equal billing. Tommy Lee Jones. And and he does the speech, which I have on the back of my T-shirt right now. And I swear to you, it was like a movie star is born. Right. I, I had ne- and I didn't know who Tommy Lee Jones was at this point. Right. And I, I suspect that maybe not that many um, move, casual yeah. movie fans would have also have known. But suddenly he was put um, next to Harrison Ford. They have like equal billing in, in you know, on, in the movie, I think pre pre the main credit, um, which doesn't Harrison Ford doesn't share credit with too many people because he's you know, too, too, uh, too higher level. But you knew when he did that speech, similar to the story that you're saying, Liam, he does the speech in the trailer, the farmhouse, outhouse, henhouse, you know, that whole speech. And uh, you could feel the electricity in the theater that people were like, who is this? What is this movie? Inject it into my soul for the next 40 years. We are in. <laughs> and it's an inch. His career is a really interesting example. It gives me a lot of like, I think it give, it'll give hope for people that like, when you get that sign of late career mm-hmm. turbo boost that that changes like you know he he was like the the 18 50, year 52 something like that Some, you know he was like the, wow. the the 20 year overnight sensation basically i had yeah. this thought while watching the film like I, I i he 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 bursts into frame and he's just so powerful immediately and like you buy it and he's so confident and it's just like yeah, it's a killer performance and yeah. i was just thinking i was like i was like man he's like not a young man in this and then my next thought was there's still hope for me (laughs) (laughs) you're doing great bud you like tenant it's all good dude we're all we can all take hope from the fact that like uh, you know you don't some people get it their break their big break at like you know in their 20s or whatever but Mm -hmm. for tommy lee jones and actually alan alan rickman to some extent was also a bit of a late right yeah same thing um but you know he'd been in movies going back to like what a movie that i love rolling thunder um, which mm. is, you know, Cole late seventies. Um, yeah, Cole Miner's Daughter, Executioner's Song, a movie I love called Stormy Monday, where which is um, a Mike Figgis movie set in Newcastle uh, in the oh. late eighties, and he plays an American businessman um, oh, cool. who's sort of sinister. It's a really awesome, awesome movie. He, so he'd been doing great work, and of course he'd been Oscar nominated for JFK just two years. Prior and oh, so God, he's so good in oh, JFK. Wow. Holy okay. shit! So Which was a, a very old Tommy Lee Jones yeah, performance, right? As well, you know, it's interesting because rewatching this last night, I was like, "This guy is a prick." Like, you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah, I'm not yes. saying that like, like he's a prick. He, like, but it, the movie does this really smart thing. You know, like watching this movie now, I think there's a little bit of queasiness about the idea of like, yeah, like the cop is the good guy in some sure. ways because, but what the movie does is it, it creates this incredible distinction 
between him and the kind of like the the Chicago face yes. cops that, yeah. that David Davis does. You know, like they're suspicious. They're not like it's not that they're dumb, but they're not portrayed as particularly bright. They sort of seem reactionary. They don't trust, you know, Ford. And I think a lot of right. those characteristics are true of um of of Gerard in this, but he's kind of a, I guess, concurrent kind of a Michael Mann character in that he's like, I'm mm. here to do my job, to be professional. Right. I'm detached. I am not like, I don't care. you know, I don't care, yeah. but I'm going to pursue you to the ends of the earth. But I'm like going to be kind of smarmy and cynical and like, well, shit, Sheriff, I don't want to do that. So I guess I'll just take over your investigation. Like this well, kind he, of it's, like, it's like he mirrors in, the incredible. Yeah. He, he mirrors that sort of middle space that Kimball exists in, mm -hmm. in, in a similar sort of way where like, um, yes, you, you see the distinction, you see, you see the local cops, you see, um, you see the sheriff and then you have the marshals and it's like, well, what even is a marshal? It's like not really a cop. It's a person that like right. finds like, you know, the, these people that are on the run. It's just this, this very specific specialized thing. So again, he can play in these different spaces and like, sure, he's got a gun and a badge, but like we don't, the, the, the film again, makes very strong efforts not to lump him in with everyone else in the same way that like Kimball is in none of those photographs of the, the docks that have gone on the, the fishing trip and that are comfortable wearing tight tuxedos right. you know um which makes them a perfect you know protagonist antagonist i think the yeah, the, just, the interplay it's, it's between uh samuel gerard and javert and in, in les mis is very fascinating to me for you know no spoilers to les mis but like javert commits suicide <laughs> because uh you know valjean is like imbued with the power of god in that film and he's so righteous that you know javert in his in his quest for moral authority realizes that like uh that valjean is is a good guy and like that there are limits to this like uh to being a cop but you have to get to the point where you do have to actually care and you have to like you have to look beyond just your your uh the the legal system and more into your own like moral moral code and and it's fascinating to me that um you know, instead of having the Javert character in this film commit suicide, uh, you know, I, I guess like Richard Kimball does like defeat him in a way, but, <laughs> right. but it's as what you were saying, Adam, is it's by appealing to his, uh, his sense of justice and like proving to him that, that, uh, if you want to truly be like a, a, a good cop, then you have to actually look at what happened in this case. And uh, right, and it's interesting that you know the One way of his you, most you have to stop being lawful neutral and become lawful good. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And Javert in, in well, one of in, the moments I just to tie that off, Javert in, in Les Mis, it's it's fascinating that like in that work, uh, he jumps into a sewer to commit suicide, and in, in this one. Dr. Richard, I mean, Richard Kimball uh, jumps into the sewer and, and uh, Tommy Lee Jones looks down and he's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, fuck that. <laughs> we got to go. Well, for to contrast the I don't care moment, right? Yeah, that yeah. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Later in the film, when he said, Ford says to him, like, they did it. They, they killed Helen because of the drug. He says, I know it, Richard. I know it. And it's one of the more expressive, yeah. like emotionally expressive moments from Tommy Lee Jones in the entire film because he's gone on this journey, right? And it's not that he's like, I'm a changed man at the end, but he's allowed for the like fact that like the nuance of like, I'm no longer like just a uh, 
black and white, right? Suing yeah. a mouse kind of thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's more it's more nuanced. He's not a government and... automaton anymore. He's right. he's right. Samuel Gerard, the human being, as well right. as just the U.S. marshal who is who is uh, an you know an extension of government apparatus in the fugitive apprehension business. Which is essentially right. like exactly. what he is. But I also think you're totally right about the the Les Miserables thing as well. And Andrew Davis mm. is on the record specifically talking about that as as a direct influence. But I also think it works on the level unconsciously of the Western. Again, you know, Tommy Lee yeah. Jones feels mm. like a guy, even though he's actually yeah. a, a Harvard literature grad <laughs> and is a is a total intellectual. But was also on the Harvard football team and was a was a job. Al Gore's roommate, you know, yeah, has a fascinating, uh, wow. there's an amazing documentary about that. What called when Harvard beat Yale, uh, and there was all these crazy like famous uh, figures that were involved in this wow, legendary football crazy. game where they came back and scored 16 points in the last minute or so. Oh my god! So so Tommy Lee Jones, who he is as a person, isn't necessarily how he reads on on screen. But he does look and sound like someone that could have been around in the 1700s or the, the 1800s in the old West, <laughs> right. lassoing people, you know, in that classic, like the bounty hunter, you know, and going after the outlaw, going after the fugitive. Mm, yeah. So there's though, there are those sort of echoes underneath this as well, reverberating, which just make for such a, you, you, you know, you like both of them. Tommy Lee Jones is a little bit, he's kind of a hard bastard, but because he's so charming and charismatic, you kind of love him too. Mm -hmm. And it just makes... Yeah. It's so entertaining to watch these And he's two so good at his super, job. And as I always said about Die Hard. Yes. Right. So that's it's the always Michael attractive it, when someone think, is right? just like a fucking expert. Yeah. And when yeah. they're smart. People when they're doing both, their jobs. The hero yeah. and the villain, as in Die Hard, are equally smart. And yeah. it's just... Well, you it's know, kind of a throwback to Narrow Margin, Phil. Sorry? Right? It has a narrow margin. It has a throwback to Narrow Margin a little bit, right? And that it's just too, like professionals who yeah. respect each other kind of in the going same going about their yeah going doing their you know, thing cat and mouse kind of style you know but we also do see like dimension to him like and i love that moment which is as you said with the moment when he shoots copeland this kind of complex and has a different sort of feel to it nowadays yeah. but hmm. the moment afterwards when he you know he is in the process of you know copeland to be fair does pull a gun on the cop and take him hostage right like it's horrible obviously we know why yeah. this feels uncomfortable uh, to watch now to some extent, sure. but the, in, within the context of the scene, he's pulling a gun on the, on a fellow U.S. marshal whose life is, whose life is in peril, and he could kill him, right? Just to play devil's advocate, and uh, sure. he ends up shooting Copeland, uh, point blank range. It's it's horrible. It's violent. We don't know. You know, it's it's hard to say whether it's justifiable or not, whether it's well, righteous or not. Puts his his subordinate you know? at risk. He's yes. just like I'm willing to kill my my coworker if it gets the job done because I don't bargain, and that is a that's a real stance to take. That's like a you can't come back from that. It, well, it shows yeah. like it's frightening and disturbing because it shows yeah. the length that this guy will go to to quote unquote get his man to right, get that the job. That happens, and you're like, oh my god, Kimball is Kimball yeah. is fucked. <laughs> it's it's really intimidating and scary, and you, it does kind of complicate our feelings towards the character. But then you see in the aftermath that interesting scene where, you know, he he pulls Newman aside and he whispers in the ear with that incredible line where he's saying, you know, because his hearing's damaged, and he says, you know, can you hear me? Yes, I don't bargain. And <laughs> you, but he also puts a coat over him. Mm -hmm. he he yeah, calls them his thing. hits he's mm -hmm. he's paternalistic to these yeah. people 
you know. So that just shows that little bit, those little touches that are make instead of him just being a bastard who's just a hard nosed, I'll shoot anyone, I don't give a fuck, you know, I'll get the job done, I'll put my own people in danger if I if I need to, whatever. But he puts the little because it's obviously freezing cold there. Yeah. Puts a jacket over him in, in a very paternal way. And those little touches just round out this character so you realize he's actually there's more to him than just the hard-nosed uh, government functionary who is in morally gray waters sometimes. I wish they'd made a sequel so we could explore the character. <laughs> that film doesn't exist, unfortunately. Sad. Well, what about the rest of that squad, though? I mean, they're what an ensemble. Right? Joey Pants is Cosmo Joey Renfro. Why are you getting mad at me? Why are you yelling at me? He's so good. Very He's so, great, so good. Great Everyone's gang. great. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Great little squad. So much fun. Squad goals. <laughs> squad goals, for sure. For real. Just like this group of guys. Yeah. Sometimes. So, the, but now we're, we're talking about Tommy Lee Jones as the antagonist, but he's not actually the villain. Mm. Right. The villain, the real villain, is Jerome Crabbe as Dr. Charles Nichols. Now, and I wondered, uh, first of all, I think quite an interesting character, uh, quite Gruber-esque, I would say, in some respects, yeah. like a sophisticated, <laughs> charming, uh, seductive European villain. Obviously, he was actually, um, a lot of people will know he was actually recast at the last minute because our friend from Hunt for Red October, Richard Jordan, sadly fell ill with a brain mm. tumor and, and, and passed, ended up passing away. So he was ill and had actually shot some scenes and they had to recast uh, Jerome, Jerome Crabbe for the part of Dr. Charles Nichols. Are there any Jerome Crabbe heads in the house? Are you guys uh, I know into nothing his about this Dutch? man. Okay. I mean, I'm a Verhoeven guy, right, you know yeah. this. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a huge, but I'm going to be honest. I wish it was Richard Jordan in the part. Hmm. I think if there's a weak link in this movie... It's Jerome Crabbe. If and it might be a Ooh, function of like the far. fact that he is the villain. No, not maybe not weak link is the word, but I I just find my, I never I never for one second think this guy is anything but, but smarmy. Like at no point am I like, mm. oh yeah, they're really friends. Like and you know, I don't I don't know why that is, right? But I, I at no point because like, you hate Europeans. Like, Thanks Liam. for the loner. <laughs> it's just because I hate your yeah, it's my, yeah, it's my deep-seated your, hatred for those Dutch yeah, bastards. No, um, um, I just, I don't know. I, he's a little too sleek and uh, a little too, and maybe this is only in, in retrospect. I don't know, but it's more like I, I, I just could see Richard Jordan doing this, the Richard Jordan thing in this part. And, um, but as, as like crappy corporate asshole, sure. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, well, I he's totally really good at playing these sort of, um, charming bastards. These charming, amoral, you know, which the, the big one being Paul Verhoeven's The Fourth Man, um, which had a big influence on um, on Die Hard because Jean de Bont shot it. McTiernan was a fan, handpicked mm. uh, de Bont because he liked that, uh, that the visual aesthetic and also the cutting style of like cutting it for moving, uh, for moving shots, which hadn't really been done. And it, it kind of cre- helped shape this new language of, of cinema with the lens flares and the kind of naturalistic roving, almost documentary-like camera work that DeBont had. But, you know, The Fourth Man is a really interesting um, performance by Jerome Crabbe, in which he's the lead. And it's kind of a, a sort of precursor to basic instinct in the sense that it's oh, uh, huh. he plays mm. this sort of sexually avaricious, uh, amoral, um, uh, 
a quasi-alcoholic writer who is just basically trying to have sex with anything uh, that that moves and is drawn into this. Um, Sounds deep, like I don't want to spoil it, but deeper Verhoeven mystery. Verhoeven forever. <laughs> it's Paul Verhoeven at his most Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's Christ imagery it. in there. That, you know, his, the greatest there ever was. Yeah, oh my God, it's, so good. It's very transgressive and he is um, magnetic in the, in the film. So I think he's a great actor. I think, I think he's great in this. I do take your point that I think, especially uh, an American audience hears a European accent and subconsciously they are always, I think, hmm, villain? Well, don't forget he was in the Bond film. He right. was in Living yes. Daylight. But he also like, played he, a slippery, you know there is, duplicitous there is bastard that era in Living Daylight. slippery European. I think that's true. Yeah. But it, yeah, I mean, he's a great actor, but it's, it just never quite clicks for me personally. But I'm not like, oh, this, I mean, it's still a perfect I think he's really, you know, movie. I think he's really good. And I, I remember, I, I, you know, my naivety, I remember being tricked when I saw it the first time because he's so kind to Kimball when he bumps into yeah. him in the car. And he's like, yeah, I need some money. Take it. How can I help you? You know, I, I, I like that you just criticized yourself for naivete when you were 12 years old. You're like, ah, <laughs> I can't believe. Ah, so naive. Well, I believe. Ugh, what a time. <laughs> um, what about old um, Andreas Katsoulas as Sykes, the one-armed man, the thug, ah, the one call of the piece? <laughs> Any thoughts on He's him? He's not actually a one-armed man, correct? No, he is. Oh. Oh, you mean in real actress. life, the actor? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I don't think he is. No, no. no I know he's a one-armed man. Not that I'm aware of. No, I'm in the, yeah. <laughs> I thought, I thought big, you would. Big, yeah. big uh, theater actor, Andreas Kutsalis, right? He's in a lot of plays. Like, he's, that was sort of his. I don't know too much about um, him. I think he was, I think his bigger thing was, his biggest thing was Babylon 5. I think he had a big part no. of that. Oh. So he passed away quite young at 59. Um, I think he's smoke, really. Big smoker. Uh, big smoker. Lung yeah, cancer, I read that. I think. Yeah. yeah, big He was. He's like a horrible character, isn't it? I hate him. You know, he's really yeah. hateable and imposed. It's important, but you need to have, you know, I think to the point about Jerome, Jerome Crabbe or even Richard Jordan, they're not physically intimidating. But this guy right. is, even with one arm. Right. You know, and you need to have that um, component, um, I would say. You know, the Gruber it, it, of the piece doesn't can be an intellectual, intellectually intimidating, mm -hmm. but you need, mm -hmm. you need a physical muscle too. There's also this thing of like you keep hearing about the one-armed man, and yeah. you it it feel even though like by by like this point in the film like you're you trust Kimball, you know he didn't kill his wife. It sounds absurd. Like the only thing he has to go on is there was a one-armed man, you know, um, and so when it suddenly becomes so grounded and it's this guy, this ex cop turns security guard for, you know, big business. And he's a, he'll kill a cop on site if he's in his way. Like he goes from being this, like, like feeling like kind of almost like a fairy tale villain to suddenly being just like this, this, this huge, like, you know, hulking obstacle that, uh, just, you know, he strikes fear into you very, uh, you know, very easily. Yeah. It could be a, kind of a corny trope the one-armed man it sounds a bit could could be a bit silly but yeah as you say it's yeah it, it's very grounded and realistic and uh, you know be believable and frightening um there's also a little commentary in how these like you know guys who were cops or like you know survived this, right this era move into like private security and doing yeah. this kind of another sketchy, corporate sellout 
Kerbert Salad, exactly. And how like, you know, with the dwindling middle classism of being, you know, in a in a like a government functionary role as like more privatization occurs, the opportunities exist outside the scope of what is like considered societal law. And so therefore you your amorality is directly connected to your pocketbook. And mm-hmm. that is, you know, a big theme of this movie, obviously, is that like the the intrusion of big business into like healthcare and you know this is a side theme security or law enforcement is when tragic shitty things happen right and and everyone's chasing the buck so it's yeah, it's an yeah. interesting sort of resonance in the context of the movie i think it also speaks to the adaptation here that uh you know there is a one-armed man in the tv series and they didn't have to like pull that they they could have you know they they could have set that aside uh but they chose to include that element here. And I think it's used in a wise way, as you're saying, Adam, that like it, at first Mm -hmm. it seems kind of ludicrous that a, uh, that a one-armed man would come in and murder someone's wife. But uh, they, they sure do like pull it off in a surprisingly realistic way that by the end of this film, you're not really like concerned about like, you know, whether this man has, all of his limbs. It's more that just like he is a pretty, like bad dude. In fact, bad it, it criminal. empowers him. He kills the senator somehow. from Scrubs. You just you, know? you hate this. Oh, guy. Yes, he does. He does. <laughs> the, the arm makes him more powerful in an odd way instead of it being um, mm-hmm. detrimental. But yeah, in the wrong hands, that could be like a Bond trope, like a Roger Moore. Right, exactly. Bond That's what film. I'm trying to say. Yeah. You know. Let's move on to the action. Do you guys have a favorite action sequence or set piece in this movie? Dominated. Mm. I mean, the train crash. Yeah, there's a series of, of really good sequences, right? It's it's just amazing Starts that like that. they do they do a bus crash that then becomes a train crash and yeah. also manage to fill it with so much character in terms of, you know, as we've already said, you know, uh, him, uh, you know, him him being a good doctor in spite of everything that's uh, happening around him. Um, it's just there's an incredible saves the guys. Um, set piece. There are, there are a lot of sequences in here that bring to mind uh the untouchables for me which is a a a film that we Mm, talked about on our on our podcast that uh you know untouchables has these incredibly iconic sequences that speak to like the power of film editing and a lot of the sequences in this film (laughs) a lot of these sequences are wordless and they are just kind of uh you know it it's Tommy Lee Jones like looking down a stairwell and Harrison Ford looking up from that stairwell. It's all told just by film so language. I want to jump on what Adam just said. The idea of it, it should, the power of Chicago, because my <laughs> favorite sequence in this entire movie is the St. Patrick's Day sequence. And that's uh, because... This is a St. Patrick's Day movie. <laughs> it's the same... <laughs> <laughs> is the fugitive a St. Patrick's Day movie? Yeah, and I it's think because so. it it like Chicago, there's no city in the United States like Chicago, right? It really is its own unique organism and like very distinct from Boston, very distinct from New York, obviously very distinct from LA. And it takes advantage of the fact that the act many of the actors are Chicago or Midwestern, right? It uses people from the city. Like another famously shot in Chicago movie is The Dark Knight. But if you don't know mm-hmm. Chicago or you don't know the references, you would never think it's a Chicago movie. This movie right. like chooses to to take, you know, one of the iconic events, which is the dying of the 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 water green for oh, St. Patrick's man, Day. And they moment. actually, of course. They actually, of course, shoot during the parade. And I, I just think it's like a bygone era of like, let's take advantage. Let's like, you know, 
guerrilla filmmaking this sequence ford is in the crowd they're following him around with a camera like of course there's permits and there's you know ad's like directing people around but it, it like there's something so ballsy in a filmmaking sense especially with this production window where they're like and then he runs out and we have one day to shoot like yeah. several minutes of this film it just like it's what action movies i think were meant to do which is like a, a sort of high flute and exciting story like crashing into a like a real cultural milieu and that's yeah. one of the things that makes this movie so successful mm-hmm. is that you feel like you're in chicago and you know i i just think it's amazing and such an antidote even though i loved like james bond movies to the sort of faceless like we're in rome now we're in uh, ankara we're in all these yeah. places like yeah. we are in chicago and and it's a native eye of the city there. as well andrew davis like yeah. chicago you know chicago mm-hmm. guy through and through even the the sort of poorer neighborhoods with the with the Copeland raid and where he's hiding out, those were neighborhoods that he he knew. He he feels like someone that really knows the the topography yeah, of the city. Very he shot yeah, it in a way sure. where you're see it, where it all feels like a maze, this dense mm-hmm. urban maze, which you know yeah. you're going directly above. Well, the even city, the hospital stuff, you know. it's just so recog- like it rec- like you know it's not nothing that the little boy he saves is a is a young person of color and like the dynamics of that in chicago in a place like that like it just it's mm. very aware of these of these socio economic issues at stake in a, in a real place and in a city that like i think is under you know untouchables as much as i love it is like a bit of a fairy tale sometimes yeah, you know it has that show, like, of the city, myth- yeah. mythologizing of elliot ness and, and those guys and you know per- public enemies justice for that movie is a great antidote to that sort of thing but like mm-hmm. the beauty of this movie is that you feel like you're really present tense in a city in 1993 which is maybe another reason why it's so cool that it rushed into movie theaters mm-hmm. yeah i think the action is is great in this movie there's five great set pieces the bus crash the the helicopter ambulance pursuit. You know I love a helicopter. You know I love James Newton Howard score ramping up <laughs> as Tommy Lee Jones gives a thumbs up to a helicopter pilot and the squad get in the helicopter. That's like, yes, give this to me. The Copeland raid, the St. Patrick's chase and the finale on the roof. Obviously the Peter Pan jump from the viaduct is probably the most iconic along with the mm-hmm. with the car crash. But action is, is again, like excellent. Top marks. Um, well, I, can, well, can we talk yeah, about please. the roof real quick? Just because I mm-hmm. feel like the the roof chase and the sort of like the physical sort of fighting between um, Kimball and uh, I can't remember the the the, the bad doctor's name. Um, Nichols. That Sorry. is no. Nichols, sorry. Nichols, right, yeah. That's the only part of the film that gives me even a little bit of pause where I, I suddenly, like, like on the one hand, I'm like, I'm watching a, a diehard-like, you know, film. Yeah, that's what sure. I'm watching. That's why this scene is is in the movie. But then I pause for a second. I'm like, these guys are fucking surgeons. Like, I know. It's just ridiculous that it's they are they're having, like, a real, like, choreographed fistfight, and now they're, like, doing this, like, roof chase with a helicopter. Like, don't get me wrong. I love the scene. It works for me, but it is the one thing where I'm like, this is the one thing you've lifted from Die Hard that like maybe <laughs> like maybe that was a questionable lift. <laughs> well, well, Jerome in, Crabbe can seem to handle himself, you know, quite yeah. well. In that, That's in what that I'm scene. saying. They're yeah. both like really good at beating <laughs> like each other up. Surgeons. In, he does go in, to a tennis club, so we know he takes <laughs> care of himself. That's true. In Lay Miz, <laughs> in Lay Miz, Jean Valjean is his trademark is just, he's just randomly like superhuman. Like the way Javert keeps catching him. Is yeah. he hears like there was a guy that just like lifted up a stagecoach above his head. So in this movie, I love that 
I love that Richard Kimball's like superpower is his like doctor abilities. Like it's so <laughs> funny that the film angles doctors as these like super geniuses that like when, when the, uh, when the U S marshals approach, uh, the doctors at the hospital, they're like, you'll never catch Richard Kimball. He's a surgeon. You know that they're geniuses, <laughs> right, right. right? Like he knows he's he the next evolution of yeah. humanity. And then, and then in the end, it's, you know, you, we get the reveal that the other surgeon is also like a super genius that like the way he's hiding, he throws that like long metal beam across the thing. Like oh, they, that moment rocks. Like, it's like surgeons are like the most, like we make like the, the world's greatest villains are the smartest. Are the, <laughs> it's very funny to me. That. <laughs> I do think that you can't have a movie where Harrison Ford doesn't just clean punch someone in the face. Yes. He's of the greatest course, puncher yeah. in the history of cinema. Or, you know, or like that there's tackle. no one better. He does that tackle. Yeah, right? that, that is the he Ford just, I mean, tackle. It's like, Patriot Games tackle. It's yeah. like yeah. him and Kevin Costner, these guys that were like kind <laughs> of athletes that could also yeah. like, well, like, you know, it's like they just had this thing where it was all down and dirty and real and like right. they're not shooting rays out of their hands and shit. Like it's just... It's, but it, but it's also this it's, this this 80s 90s thing of like real men who like right, yeah like, my like, dad yeah, will like, beat up your dad yeah, <laughs> yeah. it does have a bit yeah. of that vibe <laughs> that rooftop vibe <laughs> yeah and 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 also r real men but like Bruce Willis in Die Hard an antidote to the Schwarzenegger yes. Stallone thing they're right. not these roided out like mega dudes you know. it's my favorite yeah. stuff it's yeah. maybe because yeah, I am sensitive. a beta male but it's my favorite mm -hmm. kind of like yes. you know <laughs> so real well. stuff I'm a podcaster <laughs> right on, let's be real so um well, we're chortling. Uh, we'll we'll just touch briefly on the humor section, but I think we can we can move on. Uh, we can save most of that again for the uh, for the Oscars, which are coming up. Um, it, there is a lot of humor in this film. It remind, like Tommy Lee Jones. I, I, when I rewatched it, I was struck by how funny he is uh, at times in the film, and of course with Joey Pants in the squad and the rest of that gang. There's there's a lot of like uh, banter. Why are you yelling at me? You know, My favorite moment. Yell at her. <laughs> but also <laughs> Harrison dog. Ford's photo booth session was a great like undercutting of what you're saying where they're like, he's the smartest guy in the world. <laughs> and it comes to him getting these, these goofy like photo booth thing where he can't yeah. have his, his half right? smile. It's like my wife it's is so dead and I'm on the run. So but... charming. You know, th this film <laughs> yeah. really does use humor very, very well in the way that Die Hard does as well to like without it be ever becoming anything near an action comedy. It's still a right. very funny movie. It um, knows how to keep true. it light. And and I, I, again, another thing that's so great about the writing and how it it manages to tie everything back into character. Like you have Tommy Lee Jones, like he he finishes almost every one of his scenes with an unforgettable one-liner. Yeah. And like you you have this thing of like each of these these guys who are sort of mirrors of each other slowly like coming coming into into contact with one another but also slowly taking on each other's like worldview a little bit to the point that there is a moment where Harrison Ford has a one-liner. Like he finally <laughs> has a one-liner. Like he what gets that Tommy Lee. He says uh, after he, he he chains Sykes to the to the the L. He says, "You missed your stop." Like <laughs> it's so oh, good. Yeah. Get off my plane. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. He needs 100%. it contractually uh, obligated. Do we want to? And then doesn't he slam his head against the? Yeah. The door of the subway yeah, or yeah. something, oh, yeah. like which would kill any normal person. You but you know, the, the guy just kind yeah. of bounces back. Yeah, no, it's incredible. Do we want to get the Tom Jones um, drifting over the valleys for the lady, or are we going to um, 
move on. I think on. we can say, I just, I think it's great to see Julianne Moore in an early movie. I know she had a larger part yeah. and that they have like a love affair in, in the, in the longer version of the script. Oh, right? wow. Yeah, they cut it out because yeah. it was, un- they cut made it out him unsympathetic. It She's wonderful. You know, in the movie. She is. And I, yeah. I think just Seal Award with the limited screen time she has is just, you know, yeah, makes you she's instantly great. care Quite about it. Quite enchanting, Helen. isn't she, the Sailor, Sailor Award? The way it's done is sort of obviously it's almost all after the fact. So she's sort of a memory yeah. uh, rather mm-hmm. than a, yeah. a, a character. But, you know, we do, we do see her a little bit at the, the party and there's something quite. Um, yeah, quite mysterious and um, and alluring about her. Well, she's her. brilliant because she can tell she can like talk to these doctors, but she's clearly like, shut the fuck. That party looks like <laughs> the <laughs> fucking worst. Yeah, doesn't yeah. it? Oh, the worst. Well, another <laughs> cultural thing about this movie is like these are like high heeled idiot like assholes, right? Like right. I just love how quickly you're like, why is there a fashion show oh, going on at this event? Like, like this is in gross. this big empty like cavernous building that's just like this yeah. convention space. center, like hotel convention center. Ooh, yeah. Just like just, soulless, ugh. horrible. Um, and of course Jane Lynch uh, appears, but we're yeah, gonna, so gonna save her for say, our right. next section because I'm gonna ask you, I, you guys to all cram in the back of the limo uh, <laughs> as we head <laughs> over you guys bring to- your tuxes? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Grab a martini, and we're going to head over to the Die Hard Oscars. Phil, it's 11 in the morning, okay? <laughs> it's 11 in the it's five morning. 5 o'clock somewhere. That's why I'm having my third, okay? <laughs> we're starting late. <laughs> no, I'm having that. What's the hard-boiled drink? The tequila slammer, right? That's my <sighs> tip. Um... Okay, so we are... <laughs> if you just did that, sorry, in the middle of the pod, you just like <laughs> dropped a shot of tequila. Hey, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Okay, so our first um, our first award is the John McClane Yippee Award for the best line. Mm. Um, mm. So there's 
there's a few. Obviously, there's the big speech, which I don't, which I would love to do, but I don't really have time. Uh, the 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 residence warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, and doghouse speech. Um, the other line, you just kind of did it. I kind of I mean, did it. Just I had to do it's just a little tease. It's, it's great. Um, yeah. Amazing, amazing speech. Um, the the bit where he says, uh, you know, he says, "What are you doing, Newman?" I'm thinking. Well, think me up a cup of coffee and a chocolate donut with some of those little sprinkles on top, will you? As long as you're thinking. <laughs> um, this line, which might be the absolute, like, um, I don't know, the, the apotheosis of the movie, the heart of the movie, or indeed the eye of the duck of the movie. Mm. I didn't kill my wife. I don't. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, which was apparently reduced from a, like a three-minute scene. Boiled That's down all to you that need. diamond. Um, and sometimes the the art is so in the editor. I don't know how much it's just as a quick divergence, but they were because they shot this movie so quickly. Ford and Tommy Lee Jones were rewriting the script like that, on the yeah. flight. There were huge wow. rewrites going on. Ford would pull directors aside and be like, "Let's change this." Like, and you know, and I, it always makes me think about maybe the greatest ad lib in movie history, which of I course. assume you guys know what I'm talking about, which is, "Yeah, I love you." I know, I know. Yes. where he was supposed to say in, in Empire Strikes Back, I love you too. And he changed it to, I know. And it's like, super. Smart. I mean, yeah, it's like greatest, greatest actor, greatest movie star, greatest ad libber in the history of <laughs> greatest movies. storyteller. Like, That's someone who is totally yeah. in sync with the yeah. how his character's yeah, role yeah, in sure, a wider sure. story. So I have to wonder if he and Tommy Lee Jones was like, Tommy Lee Jones, they were just like, I'm going to say, I didn't kill my wife. And you say, yeah. And you say, I don't care. Like, I could just see them figuring that out. And Andrew Davis yeah. being yeah. like, sorry, guys, but that's that's what it has to be, right? It's just so clean. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes, it's yeah, really it well just, done. it's about reduction. Um, would you guys have a, a pick or an additional line that you would like to throw into the mix? We cast your ballots. I think mine has to be, uh, my, 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 what a mess. <laughs> 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 that's his first thing he says right yeah it's yeah. i mean it's just a perfect, a, a perfect introduction to this character that like that's it like he sees all of this and he's just like yep time time for daddy to come and clean it up yeah i mean the i love uh, I, the uh, jones's daddy the i i didn't uh, kill my wife i don't care exchange is so it, it it's so memorable because usually in these films it's just harrison ford <laughs> like screaming into the abyss i didn't kill my wife or get away from my wife or you mm -hmm. killed my wife you bastard in this one it's so memorable because we have a retort from an equally like charismatic legendary figure we have tommy lee jones with the i don't care it's so good it's it's iconic it's amazing you know? when you look at his performance as well and the reaction to that harrison ford because you know we talked about him earlier and andrew davis said how he could actually have been a silent movie actor because he's so I think one of you guys mentioned about the micro expressions earlier and he can do so much physically yeah. and he can do so much with his expressions, but you see his world kind of crumble when he says, I don't care because it gives right. him nowhere to go, you know, right. yeah. uh, literally and figuratively. It's like, I'm not going to get any change. I'm not dealing mm -hmm. with a human being. I'm dealing yeah. with someone that is a machine, you know? Yes. And exactly. it's the just, law incarnate. Yes, right. exactly. Well said. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go with when I came home, there was a man in my house. Do it, Liam. I just Do love, it. it's like a distillation <laughs> of, of that, you know you want mo to. that moment. It's just great. He's just so like, I, I just, I don't, I mean, that's also an iconic line from this movie, right? And from the trailer and all these things. I just, that really does it for me. God, I'm going to literally watch this movie again when we I hang know. up. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I literally, to. I bought it from Apple for two days. Like, let's go. Like, I got to watch it again. Oh my God. 
All right. I would say it's, yeah, I, d I didn't kill my wife. I don't care for the aforementioned reasons. Let's move on to the Hans Gruber Exceptional Thief Award for stealing the film. Now, the rules are this can, uh, this can be anyone except the first lead of the film. Um, mm. So Tommy Lee Jones can be nominated, but I think it might be a little too obvious. Um, so we also have um, Julianne Moore as Dr. Anne mm -hmm. Eastman, Joe Pantoliano as Cosmo Renfro, uh, Celia Ward as uh, Helen Kimball, and uh, Jane Lynch as Dr. Kathy Wyland. But you can also, Tommy Lee Jones is, is I, I'd say, is allowable. It might be, to, you know, he is kind of the co-lead. Um, mm. Thoughts or anyone else you'd like to add? If 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 we can pick Tommy Lee Jones, then we can pick Harrison Ford. I'm it's sorry, the second they're lead, both co-leads. <laughs> the, the second movie. lead. I'm sorry. Whatever. <laughs> they both. Mm. They not only are they co-leads, but before the title of the film comes on screen, it's not just their names. It's first name gets its own card, then last yeah. name gets its own card. <laughs> right. Like that's it's yeah. amazing. True. Powerful. All right. So if <laughs> we if we take Tommy Lee Jones off the out of contention, you know, okay. as as the joint lead. Thoughts on who who kind of made the most, did the most with the least here? I mean, Joey Pants is pretty unforgettable in this role <laughs> and so believable. It's Joey Pants. Yeah. I, it's I very really believable. Like, <laughs> but I, I also really like uh, Andreas Katsoulis as as the one-armed man. He, yeah. he somehow yeah. makes like a mm. very strong impact. And uh, having seen this as a kid, for some reason, I, I remember him so vividly because of how villainous, you know, his portrayal is. Yeah, that's a good pick. It's a good pick. Yeah, I, I just think Joey Pants, like, it's kind of the first time. I mean, I, is Bad Boys before or after this? Two years after. Yeah, like, I just feel like this is the first time we're like, oh, wait, this is the greatest supporting actor wise-ass ever, right? I, I think he's just so good in this movie. But He famously... I mean, I, especially um, why maybe they made a sequel beyond the box well, office. He was like, supposed to die, here. but Joey Pants being Joey Pants was like said to uh. Senator Andrew Davis, like, you can't kill me. What if there's a sequel? And convinced him... To have him appear in the in the, in the gurney coming out alive. And then they never alive. made a sequel. That's so sad <laughs> that they never made one, you know? I agree, though, <laughs> that it, I would say Joe Pantoliano would, is my winner for as well. He's brilliant. I do think Celia Ward does a lot with almost nothing. I agree. And I think that's pretty impressive. She's great. That's true. She does. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to speak out against Joey Pants here. No, I'm not. I, I, uh, <laughs> I love Joey Pants in this. No, but I'm going to say that uh, Julianne Moore is the, is the supporting performance I remember the most um, mm. walking away from this film. I think the, the way that she... Um, the, the, like, again, do it, doing a lot with a little. It's like a two-scene role. And the, the character is very well written, but it's also just a really really solid performance and it's got that nice thing of like did you know like young julianne moore is in this movie and yeah. like you know it's just a it's just a, a great like two scene two scene gig and i, I love she's such an amazing actress yeah, yeah. she yeah. really is even i love in, when even in the way she delivers yeah. when um when when gerard comes in and he's like and you just let him leave and she's like what am i supposed to do i'm a doctor like it's great yeah, very and then he believable. says, "How's the boy?" Mm. Which I think is really a great yeah. character moment for Tommy yeah. Lee Jones. He asks how the little boy is, right? Yes, good choice. Yes, all fair. Um, all right, the Dick Thornburg Award for Dick the movie, and our nominees <laughs> are the Chicago PD cops, Ron Dean as Detective Kelly, and Joseph Casala as Detective Rossetti. The, the cops who are interrogating him at the minute, like, you're not going to be hurting financially after this, are you? What a nice Ugh. thing to say. Um, 
Jerome Crabbe as Dr. Charles Nichols and uh, Richard Reilly as uh, the old guard on the prison bus, the guy who tries to, who basically runs out like a coward and then goes on TV and says, oh, I, I saved him. He, he, he is my winner remember for him sure. space as yeah, the inventor of him. the, um, uh, what was it called? The, the jump to conclusions map from office space. He's a lovely <laughs> actor. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely. Oh, wait, so him. wait, Adam. He's he's okay. he's the one for sure. Like, and and that incredible moment where um, where Tommy Lee Jones is he shows him the photo of Kimball again after they've discovered the uh, the handcuffs, and he's like, oh yeah, I mean he he may have survived. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah, yeah this he sucks. <laughs> Richard uh, Richard Real, right? That's his name. I believe it. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. God, really he, what a like, legend, man! He's been yeah, he's in so much. Yeah, the Weapon Four. Yeah. He, my God. Um. All right, and our final uh, Oscar. Wait, wait, um, we didn't all ready? pick. We didn't oh, you did? Oh, I thought we were all in agreement. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, I guess I'm in agreement. I just fucking hate. No, no. I'm the. My pick is the bookum guy who's behind the interrogation window because it's like he's just like in his stupid vest and yeah, his like his... bullshit face and like god like another great face of an actor but i just i hate sure. that it's so reductive and stupid and um he's like a great antagonist because he kicks off this like right. odyssey yeah. that 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 uh kimball goes on like and also there's no evidence that this guy did it. Like, that's the other thing that's crazy. You know, you sort of watch it and you're like, what? It's a phone call where, like, a woman who has a hemorrhage. I don't know. It's just it, that part makes yeah, it's me a good point. crazy that he is, yeah. that Fair. He is that guy. Fair. There's no good evidence that Richard Kimball killed his wife. How are you feeling about your Marco impression today? Because you get a little self-conscious in front of the guests. I'm good. I'm good to do it. We've guests. been recording for you a while. Ready? Okay. Just, I get self-conscious doing, self doing right. in front of the guests. All right. I'm warmed All right. up. So our final Oscar is the best death presented by Marco. No more table! <laughs> Next time you have a chance to kill someone, don't Oh my hesitate. God. Very good. The, the, it's excellent. Sorry, guys, I had to do The it. irony is this, it. that it's totally not attuned to the energy of the deaths in this film because it's not like a usual light, like commando style, like, you know, mm -hmm. loads of people getting Who shot. Who dies and, in this movie? Not Copeland many. And there's, the, there's like yeah. five on-screen deaths and none of them are, 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 are like, quote, unquote, you know, fun. Um, there's, it's, so it's a bit, it's kind of, we got everyone like G'd up for this and then it's actually really somber. <laughs> yeah. It also yeah. it's a movie about a horrible murder. Yes. So good job, me. Thank you. Um, there's deaths on the bus. Uh, the prisoner, you know, is shotgunned on the bus and then Copeland is shot, which is horrible. And Sykes shooting the cop on the train. In fact, it's interesting. All the deaths are, are like, none of them are like, yeah. I mean, it, it's ambiguous as to whether Ch to Dr. Charles Nichols is, he, like he whacks him, Harrison Ford whacks him with something, and uh, I get, but you never really see what happens to him afterwards. So I don't know. Right? Um, is he whacks him in like the leg. He whacks him in the leg. Yeah. Not like you know, he's probably not. You never see him get there. arrested though, or anything. So we right. don't. It's kind of like not we don't know what happened to him. They let him go. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, you're good. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just totally reverse. He's like, I'm really chill about the law. So just, just go. <laughs> that's my yeah. character arc. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, so I don't know if there, it's kind of a weird one to nominate, but in an odd way, I think it's not the best death, but her, her murder is the catalyst for the whole thing. And it's the mm. most like impactful, you know, um, it's horrible, but it, best is not the right terminology. But anyway, let's just move on. This is really, really grim. <laughs> Wait, I 
I have a best day. I have one, no, actually. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm just well, in too well, much of yeah, a rush. Because I, I, because I think th this is a film that doesn't sort of like, um, unlike so some of the other action movies that... Um, that borrow from Die Hard, like this one doesn't have a body count. It doesn't revel in like the kills. Um, it's nothing like Rambo or any of those films. And so like, yeah, as, as we've been saying, like it, it has the this sort of somber tone to it. So I do have to go with Sykes killing the janitor from Scrubs. And this only works with like the, the cultural, you know, the, the idea of watching it now in the present, having seen 10 seasons of that show two times over, where like, I watch it and then I am pulled out of the movie for a moment and I have a chuckle to myself because it's the janitor from Scrubs. And so it's the <laughs> one kill in the movie that doesn't make me feel sad or weird. <laughs> so I've got to go really with that one. one. Well said, well I like said. that. Dom? I mean, that opening murder is so impactful. It, I know this is a, a mm -hmm. joke category, but like, it's a good death, you know? As far as movie deaths go, pretty good. Mm -hmm. you, you certainly remember it. It's quite scarring. Yeah. 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 yeah the 911 call. Oof. Yeah. Oh. Oh, that's. My pick is the death of the forty-four million dollar action movie with two movie stars that <laughs> would not get made anymore and uh, grossed three hundred and seventy million dollars. Wow. Meta answer. Features real people and has socio-economic uh, considerations. Uh, mm. And gets nominated for best picture. And gets nominated for best picture and wins an Academy Award for best uh, supporting <sighs> actor. And maybe was up for best editing. But what about the Quibi yeah. series? So maybe that's worse. What about worse the Quibi death? series? You know? Oh, well, yeah, the truth is, best so death Quibi, maybe. Maybe best death Quibi. That might be the, the pick. Industry. I don't know. <laughs> um, all right. Should we move on to our final section, which is the Double Jeopardy trivia quiz? Now, all you right. guys have the option of either collaborating uh, or competing. Um, mm. Would you prefer don't to work hit together? Don't your wheels to me, because I don't get these right. I'm the bus crash of trivia, trivia categories, <laughs> you know. I mean, Adam is much smarter than me. I'm sort of a dumbass, so I, I would I, I would like to be part true. of Adam's team if that's possible. Yeah, only dumbasses re make references to French literature and talking about <laughs> yeah. the fugitive, Dom. Yeah, like only dumbasses do but that. For yeah, trivia, don't, don't, but no, I don't but know Dom, much. Let's team up. Okay, let's good. team up. Let's do, do it. Do you all want to team up together, Liam? Come on, why don't you join that team? Come on, I feel bad okay. for you. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you can all work so with us against the dealer. I'm going to work with Marco over here. I'm okay. going to work with Marco. <laughs> You can all work together. And the rules are you get one clue. I, you can phone a friend. I, you can call phone Radio Al Powell. Al Powell if you oh. need a clue for each answer. There's three <laughs> questions. All right. Question number one. Right. It's just a bit of fun. The actor who plays Richard Kimball's lawyer in the film is the father of which famous acting siblings? Huh. I feel like I've got to reverse engineer this. It is not the it is not the Gyllenhaals. Oh right, he's a cinematographer. Is uh is is it? I, I'm trying I'm trying to think. Maybe I, I mean Dom, stop me if if you think there's a, a different answer here. But I think there's a possibility it could be a Bateman because there's just uh, Jason and Justine Whoa. Bateman are acting siblings, and I feel like age wise it would make sense. But mm. I don't know. What are other famous acting That's not the correct answer. It's I like where your head's at, but it's John um, Cassavetes. John Cassavetes is his lawyer. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want the clue? Clue. Phone Al Powell. Yes. Phone Al Powell. He has also appeared in films such as Eight Men Out and High Fidelity. Oh, oh okay. it's John Cusack. 
Yeah. Dick, Sorry, uh, just Dick, uh, Dick, uh, Dick Cusack, who plays the attorney. Is, was their dad an actor? Mm-hmm. It was. I think oh, he just he came to it late, sense. I think, is my understanding. That's true. And great Chicago acting exactly. family. A Chicago, the, Chicago the are great dynasty. Chicago people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Dick Cusack, who plays God, attorney Walter Guthrie, is the father of John and Joan Cusack, and also Anne Cusack, who's also um, mm-hmm. an right. uh, actor of some note. Um, okay, question number two. I think you'll like this one. Okay. In which previously released film, again distributed by Warner Brothers, did Harrison Ford also play a doctor named Richard? Wow. I told you guys I'm a dumbass. I have no clue. <laughs> Liam, you should be able to work this what out. What year? What year is okay, this? Okay, that that's the clue. The clue is... Well, I'll get, that's one part of the clue. The, it was 88. Is it presumed? In, no, it's not presumed innocent. 88. Oh, well, uh, Frantic. It's yes. Frantic. Yes, exactly. I've never seen that. Yeah. Wow. In, oh, in it's so... I mean, the, the considerations of the director aside, it's a, it's, a, it's a great fucking movie. It's really, really good. Yeah, he's great in that. That's a great Euro, Euro adventure. Harrison Ford cool. plays a San Francisco surgeon named Dr. Richard Walker uh, in that film. Um, okay. Final question. Which member of Sam Gerard's team did not return for the 1998 sequel, U.S. Marshals? And I'm going to list their names. Joe Pantoliano as Cosmo Renfro. Daniel Roebuck as Bobby Biggs. L. Scott Caldwell as Erin Poole. Tom Wood as Noah Newman. And Johnny Lee Davenport as Henry. Which which one? The didn't answer come is back? none of them because this film doesn't exist. So you're really this is kind of a trick question. <laughs> is it that bad? U.S. Marshals. I not, love U.S. Marshals. Apart from no, the it's, tedious I, I, midsection. It's, it's more that it's reputationally like weird and like a total cash grab. But like I would have watched mm. ten sequels. I've to, watched it about twenty uh, times. Uh, that team. Oh, maybe you, you have to yeah, watch U.S. I've, I've, I've never yeah. seen it. Dom, you've never seen it either? No, no. I didn't even know it it's existed. It's on Netflix, I think, right now. Or it always seems to be. We'll yeah, be doing it. It's available. We'll be doing it. I, I like it. Oh, great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have I have no clue. I have no idea. Um, okay. Yeah, I have no idea. The, all right, the never, clue yeah. is Sausage Fest. Oh, so uh, uh, L. Scott Caldwell doesn't come back then. That's right. Yeah, she was um, She was apparently acting in a play at the time of the shoot and was unavailable mm. to return and was replaced by Latanya Richardson as a new character uh, oh. named Cooper. Uh, but the others, mm. uh, the, others all, the others all came back. Um, that must have been a hell of a play not to come back for that picture. Yeah, I it's was... Like, it's like... Um, Keanu Reeves not coming back for Speed 2 because he was playing Hamlet in Canada. I think that's one of the great <laughs> right? stories. Oh, my true? God, yeah. that's why. Yeah. Wow. He was like, I don't need the money and I want to focus on playing in my band and I'm playing Hamlet at like the Stratford Shakespeare Festival. Wow. It proved to be an incredible like, wow. decision. You know what? What a king. What a yes. king to be like, no, I'm playing it's Hamlet. Incredible. That's much cooler than it's being so on a amazing. boat. Yeah, it's really, really cool. All right. So can, we're going to just wrap things US up. Marshals. Can I just, just real quick about U.S. Marshals? I can't remember the character's name, but um, the one that Tommy Lee Jones shoots in the direction of, does he have permanent hearing damage in the second film? I don't believe Newman? so. I don't yeah, believe Newman. so. Mm. But that's a great... Well, that, that's that fills, that fills me with hope. It should yeah. be, yeah. 
That's a that's an interesting. Where are people point. shooting near your ears, Adam? Are you concerned about your podcast, <laughs> your podcast ears? You know, I'm just like generally afraid of loud noises ruining my life. That's fair. I, uh, You're living in the wrong don't city. Don't read that then, I think. New York Times article about noise and health. Then, yeah. Yikes. So just to sort of, you know, wrap up, you know, I want to get your final thoughts. And just the last sort of point that I wanted to make about this in terms of where this is going to take the podcast moving forward is I would really say that this this film is the uh, the fugitive is the diehardification of the modern chase thriller, right? Mm. It, it, it's sure, following yeah. in the footsteps of North by Northwest, uh, Bullet, French Connection, films mm-hmm. like that. It kind of perfected it. It contemporized it. It created a new... Um, story paradigm and style of movie that would be repeated and riffed on from the 90s and beyond. We've already been talking about the 1998 sequel. Um, It would directly influence a number of other chase-oriented movies like Chain Reaction, Enemy of the State, Double Jeopardy, Salt, The Bourne franchise, The Hunted, The Taken series, Mm -hmm. and so on. And also, I think, cemented the idea that you could make... um, old TV series into, you know, modern movies. I, I don't know yes, if there's a Mission Impossible time. without mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. the success of um, The Fugitive. And then that leads to, you know, uh, Charlie's Angels, Miami Vice, The A-Team, The Equalizer series, various degrees of, you know, of, of uh, mm. success. But it's aftershocks are felt to this day and it kind of created a new genealogical thread that we will continue to track as the show progresses. So that was the last thing that I wanted to say. If you have any further thoughts you know please please throw them in and then i want to talk about your your show and your forthcoming season on on eye of the duck but is there anything else you guys want to say before we we close it also invented quibi so <laughs> i think that that is, we're all <laughs> deeply grateful we cannot which, escape which means quibi. by the way that you can you can probably watch that on on roku right because roku mm-hmm. bought all of quibi's programming that's right they did that's true i had forgotten See, about i'm just that. looking yeah, at the, fu- the fugitive, fugitive lives on Fugitive Quibi. Wow. Yeah, look at this. I wouldn't be shocked, by the way, if in our lifetimes there's another rehashing of this show in some format because it's just it, such a happen. flexible and effective format and it has such a prestige kind of lens to it. And I also think like there's a way that these two characters are kind of like so iconic that like they not yeah. to you know, the Hamlet joke aside, it's like there's actors that want to play parts, right? And right. they want to play a part and do it in a new way. And like, Kimball is so tragic and so interesting. And Gerard is such like a, maybe the better comparison is the lame is characters. Like I just could mm-hmm. see a remake of this sometime in the next 20 or 30 years, like on a streaming service or well, if those still exist or whatever the case might be. Like, I just don't think we're done with the fugitive. And that's a testament to the fact that it's like, a, it's a it's maybe truly like a masterpiece, like a truly almost yeah. perfect piece of film yeah making. it's in, pretty in, timeless very inspiring to watch i mean i don't know that yeah. movie stars exist today the way that they did then um and i don't know that a movie like this works if it's like john cena chasing dwayne the rock johnson uh because <laughs> i don't know that these sort of stars of today are allowed to have like any faults in movies or or do movies that don't right. specifically appeal to like a very slim like teen demographic um but i i think there are still some serious uh actors out there who would who would uh want to take on these roles just a question of whether or not a movie like this would appeal the way it did back then and and bring in any sort of i mean this movie is a 
is a yeah. fucking monster success. It what did it like quadruple its, bu- its yeah, budget? It's I mean, huge. The only kind of stuff that does that these days is like something that takes place in the Spider Verse, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know that this has the and cultural even that, impact. It doesn't that it does have the anymore. cultural footprint. Yeah, right. you know, right. like yeah, like. Yeah, that's the thing that's sort of tricky about now is there's so much stuff and it's like, peop- you know, you're not waiting. Like this came out in August, right? And like August in 1993, that's like a little bit of a graveyard for, for summer mm-hmm. movies. Like kids are going back to school, whatever. And so like the fact that this film was so successful in what was not a month when you were necessarily like putting your best stuff out there, you know, now it's now there's no seasons to movies, right? There's still right. kind of Oscar right. season, but there isn't like there's blockbusters every four and a half weeks, right? So like I think this movie's cultural imprint is both a product of its time, but also that like it's pretty unanimous. Like I've never heard anyone go like, ah, the fugitive, that sucks. Like it just doesn't yeah. it maybe mm-hmm. people feel that way, but you don't hear about it, right? Yeah. Like there's not many challenges to this to the throne of this movie. And I should correct myself. It yeah. so the budget was forty four million. The box office is three hundred seventy million. So way more than quadrupled. It, it Wild times eight or nine. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. It's it's nuts. Um, yeah, I mean we 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 keep saying it. They don't make them like they used to, and I don't know if they ever could again. But I feel like Harrison Ford has one more of this kind of movie <laughs> in him, even if he doesn't go go around punching everyone. Like I would love to see, like I would love to see him yeah. get back into this territory in some way, shape, or form. You can be in a thriller at any age. You do not need to be, true. you know, doing cartwheels out, uh, off of dams and stuff in order mm-hmm. to uh, to be in one. He I think there's a, a rumor punch. that he's coming back as um, Jack Ryan. There is a rumor mm. that they're doing a, a, a new Jack Ryan wow. film, which I would like. I'm already as the, the president movie. potentially, which which he would be the, the right age, That's you right. know, based on uh, our, the age I of our see. current president. Who, who I'm sure tr- who so who who's Jack Ryan? Like who? Oh, is is Jack Ryan a Patriot is, Games and Clear and Present? No, I know, but I mean, there, there is a current Jack Ryan, right? Like, is that a? There is a. It's Amazon John, it's series with John Krasinski. Yeah. But then wasn't Pine, was yes. Pine a, a Jack yes. Ryan recently? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, with uh, Kenneth Branagh directed it. I mean, again, it's right. like, it's kind of crazy. I'm a Jack Ryan fan, but I'm, yeah. I am I have not, I engaged with a little bit of the first season of the Krasinski show and I just, I never finished it and I did not see the Branagh, Jack Ryan. Um, mm. I think it's, we're we covering We'll that do film? it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll cool. be doing yeah, it. Yeah, Jack Ryan. No if you do, um, not Jack Ryan, but if you do, the the cruise Jack Reacher call, call us up. <laughs> oh hell yeah! You have takes. What's your hot take on it? Oh, I just think it fucking rocks. Really, it rocks, dude. <laughs> that, yeah. That's a different. That's a different uh, cruise trajectory that we're never gonna really get. Yeah, unfortunately, that's, that's like, part of why I I, I I really dig that one. Yeah, dark cruise. Yeah. and Werner Herzog. Hello, that's a, that, like that's a thing. The Zach. Oh my god, he's the best. I bit off my fingers in prison. Like he's so <laughs> fucking good in that. <laughs> I like that late late career Werner Herzog is like, I'm going to Hollywood to like he yeah. just shows up in yeah. like good the most him. like the why most are you in the Mandalorian? What and is shows, this? Yeah. yeah. That that's um, someone who's aware of their sort of like their their metatextual cultural presence and is just like right. I, I could become aware. I could use a I could use another house. I'll, I'll make I'll make some money off that. It's like capitalism isn't so bad when yeah. I can buy another house. I'm yeah. so I'm so here for it. I'm also seeing yeah. that uh, Air Force One uh, in 2022 is announced. There is a sequel in development with Harrison Ford. A I sequel? Assume. 
Yes. Holy shit. Real. Called Air Force wow. 2. What was, what was my Gary phone call? Get Gary Oldman back. Wait, no, they can't. He's dead. Yeah. But that I would need be... To, need to get into that immediately. They should I mean, be calling Harrison, Harrison Ford returning to the role him. of U.S. President James Marshall. I, I, I mean, I really don't... Uh, Air Force 2 is the plane that's named for the vice president, I thought. The so. vice president, yeah. Maybe he <laughs> comes back as the vice president. Oh, that, oh, that title okay. is has been like just sitting there for 30 years. Yes, Why did no one yes, put Air Force fair. 2? Like, oh my gosh. Genius. Guys, wow. let's match the story right now on this call and make it a four-hour All right, podcast. all right. We should, we should <laughs> writers we room going. Do you guys... Actually, I'm we down. can't. Forever. Um, before we sign off, why don't you guys tell us about your very exciting forthcoming yes. uh, season on Eye of the Duck? Yes. Uh, Adam, I have the perfect uh, segue. I have the perfect segue here. Uh, Air Force One, okay. directed by none other than Wolfgang Peterson. That's right. Yes. He, who can you, we uh, cover during <laughs> our new series. Yeah. We just talked about um, the never-ending yeah. story. Uh, a, a classic Wolfgang Peterson joint um, as part of our 80s dark fantasy miniseries called Legends of the Eye of the Duck. Yes. Um, we're, we're a few episodes in now, right, Adam? Uh, I'm, yeah, I mean, it depends on when this, uh, this airs, but, uh, but yeah, we're, we're covering sort of the entire decade. We're trying to go, uh, we're almost going year by year and, and sort of looking at um, this this genre of film that kind of doesn't exist anymore is both a you know a reaction to the seventies and a, a major sort of reaction to to Star Wars and you can mm. look at this decade and 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 all of the films in it and kind of see sort of like here's how we ended up where we are today um, yeah and and you can see this sort of like transformation of the of the film industry and the reconditioning of audiences for a new way of, uh, of, of filmmaking. Yeah. And a little scoop for our diehard on a blank listeners. Uh, well, we will be hosting Phil and Liam for our episode on Highlander, which should come out in a, a few more weeks. Yes. Should be very um, exciting. Yeah. And, and we've got a, it's a great lineup. We've got Flash Gordon, Excalibur, Dragon Slayer, Conan, Dark Crystal, Company of Wolves, Never Ending Story, Return mm. to Oz, Legend, Highlander, Labyrinth, Princess Bride, uh, and Willow. And then finally, like capping it all off by looking at the early 90s and, and how everything changed forever with, uh, with Steven Spielberg's Hook. Yes. Wow, that's oh, awesome! A divisive motion motion picture for Deeply sure. Deeply divisive. divisive. Yes, I'm looking forward to digging into it. Yeah. Well, I've yeah. been yeah. listening sure. at the time of this, the, the time that we're recording this. The the episode that's out is is your first one on Flash Gordon, which I just completed. Absolutely fantastic deep Thank dive. You. Thank you. Uh, onto a, a, a sort of a demented you know, film, uh, complicated, totally <laughs> <Yeah>. you know <laughs> bizarre sort of you know you you really pin down whether it's is it space opera, um, is it sort of uh, high fantasy, the Star Wars echoes, the Dilaurentis influences. You know, you, you guys are so <laughs> thorough. It is everything. <laughs> And uh, it's highly entertaining and insightful. I love your show. I am so thrilled to be coming on it to talk about Highlander, yeah. a movie uh, I we can't wait, wait yeah. to get into with you. I'm deeply, deeply honored and grateful that you uh, that you asked us about that. And uh, yeah, so please check out um, 
uh, Eye of the Duck. Where can everybody find it and where can they find you guys? Well, uh, yeah, well, Adam, why don't you take it? You usually do this part. Sure, yeah. You can find Eye of the Duck wherever you listen to your podcast. We're on all podcast platforms. However, you can listen to us one week early and ad-free on uh, Amazon Music or with a Wondery Plus subscription. You can get Amazon Music just by logging in with your Amazon Prime account if you have one of those. And I will say it would be now is a good time to get on the uh, subscription chain uh, because we are going to take a brief break from fantasy to cover Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny and Mission Impossible dead reckoning part one as a way of wrapping up the series on those films that we have already oh. done and we will be seeing those films early at press screenings and dropping those episodes uh you know day of release basically on our subscription feed they'll be out on that day for everyone else they'll be out uh a week later so now is a good time to to get on that feed um and you can find the show on all social media at eye of the duck pod you can find me on social media at adam vol you can uh listen to my fiction the fiction podcast i've worked on american hostage and foxes of hydesville anywhere you listen to podcasts and you can watch the films i've worked on at adamvolerich.com that is v-o-l-e-r-i-c-h yeah and you can find me on uh twitter and blue sky and a few other social media platforms at dominic nero and uh, keep up with my writing and my work on, uh, I, I often write for Esquire magazine about film, television, and video games. So thank you guys for having thank you. Yeah, thank you so, so much for, for doing this. It's been a this delight. a great time. Total blast. Thanks for uh, hanging in for so long. Uh, um, oh, it's our pleasure. Thank you, Adam and Dom. What a, what a, what a, what a pair of menches those gentlemen are. They were great. Yeah, they're thank great. You guys. They're great. Yeah. Their show's great. They were a delight to have on. Um, yeah, that's The Fugitive. A lot That's to, The Fugitive. It was a big one. I mean, what a great... I mean, that's a long one, but it absolutely earned. I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. And if you loved it, listener, why don't you tell a friend to listen to our podcast, Die Hard on a Blank, available to you on every podcast platform, Die Hard on a Blank. You can uh, also find us online on twitter i'm uh lee at liam g billingham on twitter phil are you on twitter these days yes i am um and i'm gonna be more positive about it today my name is uh at philip gawthorn my username is uh, at philip gawthorn and that and that's how i met dom so that's we this this lovely episode wouldn't have happened without that so there is a that positive is true. side the, the film community yeah. uh film twitter and film podcast twitter everyone's really nice everyone comes on each it's other's a great shows. way to connect you know, i've met um you yeah. know met a lot of people that way and it's yeah yeah cool so please come happens. find me and um like and my you can tweets, find about the podcast. Boiled. tweet about hard yeah, boiled <laughs> tweet about hard tweet about podcast on twitter and instagram at diehard oab and you know the best thing that you can do you have a question comment something you want to talk about uh we we'd love to do a mailbag episode you can email us at diehard oab at gmail.com that's diehard oab at gmail.com dot com send us an email send us your thoughts we'd love to respond to them on the pod you can also rate review the show that's really really valuable to us reviewing the show is really great i'm going to read get ready i'm going to read a review a recent review phil should i read Ooh. a recent review yes let's do please. it let's read something that i need that makes i need validation sound. as long as it's positive yeah no they're all positive all the reviews are positive okay here's one this says Okay, I can't read the whole title. It gets cut off, but it starts. The title starts. Let's have a Patrick Swayze. 
I don't know what the rest of it is, but five stars from Jeff Bonhag. Such a fun podcast. Liam and Phil's enthusiasm for the movies is infectious. They have great chemistry as co-hosts, and the pacing is perfect. Much like The Fugitive. Much like we are the fugitive of podcast, <laughs> which is who's who's who. You've got to be Harrison. I don't know. Ford, that's though. yeah. We'll that's talk a about very it nice mic. review. Thank you for taking Thank the time you, to Jeff. do that. Now, next on the show, we're talking about Hard Target, and I, you know, unfortunately, we don't have a great guest for that episode. It didn't. Uh, it didn't uh, <laughs> uh, 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 Wait, I Phil, why your, are you coughing? I beg what your happened? pardon. Not only do, do we, we have, have a guest for that episode. Not only do we have. A great guest. We have my dream guest. So when we started this uh, this venture, um, I did uh, an interview with the lovely folks at Pod Bible uh, in the UK, and they asked me some fantastic questions in this interview when we were launching the show. And one of those questions was, uh, "Who would be your dream guest?" And my answer was Liam Billingham. <laughs> no, that's my dream host, Liam. I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do uh, it. They asked who would be my dream guest. And I said a gentleman by the name of Kyle Brandt, who is a regular uh, guest on uh, The Rewatchables. He's done he's, he's done a bunch of uh, great classic action movies. I think he did, um, I know he did Cobra. I think he did Commando, uh, Predator, a bunch a bunch of the greats. And Cliffhanger. I, I listened to his episodes, Cliffhanger, um, uh, Sudden Death recently, and I, when I listened to him talk, I was just like, this guy and I, he's, he's a kindred spirit. And he's also the host of the, uh, Good Morning Football on the NFL Network. Uh, he is very, very well known. A brilliant guy, hilariously funny, loves action movies. And thanks to my uh, my good friend Shona, who works in the, in the NFL world, uh, this dream uh, came true. And Kyle uh, was kind enough to come on board. And I uh, remember that he, when we sent him some options, he said, you had me at hard target. And he loves Van Damme. Uh, so we have a fantastic conversation uh, coming up um, on our next episode. Unfortunately, Liam was not available. That's true. This um, is just a Phil and Kyle looking at each other across the uh, internet <laughs> uh, conversation. I was, I was, talking I was out Van on Damme. paternity leave uh, getting text message from Phil about how excited he was about Kyle Brandt. And it was very exciting. Well, Liam was invited. In f- you I, were I invited. invited. But I just couldn't but, make it happen. But I'll pop in at the beginning to, to, to just express my jealousy and anger that you have a new co-host <laughs> for the podcast. But don't don't miss it. Um, we, Liam was sorely, sorely missed for this episode, but don't miss this episode. It's an absolute uh, it's an absolute stormer. And we're talking about John Woo's uh, 1993 masterpiece. Whoa. Okay. We'll see about that. <laughs> Hard, Hard Target. Target. Yeah. Coming at you. Uh, a film that I'm going to reveal to you at this moment that I've never seen. Oh, dear. <laughs> so I got to get on that. I gotta, I'm got i going to watch it before we talk about it, before you and I talk about it. And then I right. make you do an episode with me All and right. I stare Sounds at you. Good. All right. Sounds good. Uh, thank you, everybody. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm Philip Gawthorne. This was Die Hard on a Blank, and we'll be back next time with some new FBI guys, I guess. Die Hard on a Blank is a podcast created and hosted by Philip Gawthorne. Liam Billingham co-hosts and produces the show. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. 
Find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Rate, review, follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, tell your movie podcast-loving friends about Die Hard on a Blank. Special thanks to Suki Chu. See you next time on Die Hard on a Blank. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.